0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B Side. We are a podcast for the Film Stage website. Today, we're going to get a little British, and we're going to talk about Hugh Grant, one of the greatest Hughes who's ever lived. Maybe the greatest Hugh. I was before, right before we started recording, I was going to ask the question: Who is the best Hugh? Hugh Grant, Hugh Jackman, or Hugh Dancing? Hugh.
1: No, oh, there's that or, too. Or, I mean, there, there or are a couple Hugh of Hughes. there's Hugh Laurie. There's uh
0: more Hughes than you it, would think, more famous actor Hughes than you would think.
1: And are we including are we including Hugheses in there?
0: No. Like, like, like
1: John Hughes, Hughes or the Hughes brothers? Albert yeah.
0: Hughes. I mean, we could. I I think I have to go Jackman for myself. He was one of our first B side subjects. And even though I love yeah. Hugh Grant, I think I gotta go Hugh Jackman. What about you guys? What do you think? Of all the I, cues.
1: after after rewatch because outside of the four that we're going to talk about I re watched a bunch of his movies just to kind of refamiliarize myself and uh I might go Grant. I I like kind of didn't realize how much I like Hugh Grant.
0: Yeah that's that's a good point. He, uh, Joe, what do you think?
2: I mean I think if if I'm casting my own project, yes. I have to go Jackman. I have to go, Jackman. There's a, there's almost no other Hugh option, you know, at that point. Now, Joe, he's probably t- more versatile. Too much range. So, yeah, ver- yeah, too, too yeah. much versatility. Yeah, he's it's a song. He's a
0: song and dance man, among many yeah. other yeah. things. I thought, Joe, for some reason, I thought you were going to go Hannibal and go Hugh Dancy. I don't know why I thought that, but <laughs> um, so yes, we're talking about we're talking about uh, Hugh Grant, who is co-starring in the new Guy Ritchie movie, The gentleman with uh, every other actor who's ever lived, and and
1: a couple actors who we've done
0: and the woman
1: on this pod before
0: and michelle Dockerty, right who's in uh who's in down abbey i believe she's like the one you know yeah that's her name yeah she's like the one female who's kind of in the trailer um anyway so if you're listening um you're as, as shocked as we are that insert movie here won that golden globe and Insert movie here, uh, got nominated for that Oscar. I'm just kidding. We're (laughs) We're recording this right before the Golden Globes. um, So um, we are mildly excited for uh, Golden Globes (laughs) and upcoming Oscar nominations, which I think if you're listening now, the Oscar nominations have just been announced. I think only mere days or mere days after we record. It's right around, it's right in the end of January. But with us today, as always, we have Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you doing?
1: I'm 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 doing uh well oh, okay. oh,
0: Danny I'm right. doing I'm All wonderful. Right. <laughs> in, an, in an impression that Hugh Grant himself would love and hate at the same time. We'll talk about his Prob, uh, pro, yeah his honest <laughs> criticism of himself. And uh we also have a guest, uh, a very good friend, a social media celebrity, Joseph Galbo, Gallim- oh, Gallim- no. Joe. Oh boy. Joe, how's it going, everyone? Joe, who happy I, to be here. I captured some of his wedding, and he, he, uh, what did you say? You come, you, you, uh, your, your review of my camera or lack of skills was that it reminded you of early Paul Greengrass, which I still, I mean, early <laughs>
2: Paul Greengrass,
0: early, <laughs> really early, early Paul Greengrass. <laughs> untethered Paul Greengrass. Um, so yeah, but. Joe, introduce yourself to the people because you're you're an interesting guest because you you're different. You're not immediately, you know, in the film biz necessarily uh, for your day to day. Tell tell the people what you do.
2: Sure, I guess I guess my my only connection to film is I, I'm a fan. I'm a I'm a super fan. Uh, I've known Connor O'Donnell a long time at this point. Uh, you know, so in my professional life, I do work in social media. Uh, I am a social media person at a federal government agency. And I will leave it to you to Google which one it is because I'm technically here in my personal capacity, not my work capacity. And I don't want to make any lawyers upset, uh, so all I'll say <laughs> is that everything I'm saying here today is my own opinion and has nothing to do with the federal agency I work for. So, um, but yeah, super excited to be here.
0: Very well run. We'll do, uh,
1: go ahead. I'm going to say this is my own opinion, but it's just worry not, listener. It's it's one of the few really good government agencies left, and uh, and they're doing they're doing
2: they're it's, doing very good work. Yes, of course, Connor's uh, Connor's thanks, talking man. about the White House. Uh, so, no, yes, obviously, obviously. Uh, oh yeah, I don't, I don't work for the white house if that if that's if you listen if you just heard that intro and you thought oh my god this dude works for the white house no he does no, of not, work course for the not. White house. of course not of course not um
0: but yeah we're, we're very excited to have you on and yeah i think this is you know hugh grant is one of those guys um kind of kind of like you were saying uh you could say he's taken for granted you know i think um he's one
1: of, is taken for grant well
0: yes thank you sir <laughs> i you're capturing my own um my own uh Cleverness before I can even uh, acknowledge it myself. Did he,
2: Dan? Do you think he wrote these down, or like, does he have a list of these? You think is this no? Gonna be that's not Connor. Episode?
0: No, this is not Connor's. You think this is? You this know, is all improv. You probably right? know okay. Connor. You you know Connor longer than I do by a long shot. This is how this dude's mind works. Connor's like it's it's 50 though. If, right if, if now. By that, these are too slight well placed.
1: slightly broken on the inside. Now let me
0: works. just take a quick left handed turn here before we really jump into Hugh and say I'm really enjoying the Netflix show The Witcher. Uh, I just recommend it. If you haven't watched it yet, I'm almost done with it. I watched an episode right before we started recording. No Hughes in that one, but there is a Henry and they did star yes. together in The Man From U.N.C.L.E. So, you know, in they a did. way, there's a connection. Another guy, Richie. Sure. Movie. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just, you know. Joe, have you seen The Witcher
2: yet? I I want to tune in. I've listened to the the song that's gone viral. Oh, my gone God. Viral. I love um, the song. Toss, toss a coin to your Witcher, O Valley of Plenty. Oh, my God. I think is the... Yeah, well, my wife. But uh, I haven't you, checked it out yet. My wife um, is
0: currently mad at me because I've been seeing it all day around the house. She's oh God, <laughs> so, mad, <laughs> so mad,
2: so mad. But um, no, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You know, the only stuff I I really keep up on these days, um, Netflix wise, is and there is no Hugh Grant connection. But The Dragon Prince has been really good.
0: Oh yeah. If we're
2: plugging things we like right now, that is definitely something uh, people should check out.
0: Well, Connor, I know you 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 finished The Witcher, right? So
2: that I'm I'm behind. I did. You.
0: I yeah. I I I've, I've been. I've been,
1: I was digging it. Um, you know, we we kind of burned through it pretty quickly, um, I guess to its credit, but I I kind of dig it. I'll recommend it on the grounds of uh, it is unabashed high fantasy, which is kind of nice. Like it, you know, people have been making the comparisons to uh, Game of Thrones, which I guess is fair in, in a certain regard because it's a large budget, you know, fantasy uh, show and whatnot. But uh but they're not really that similar. And I guess I would say, you know, it's not quite as well rendered as Game of Thrones in terms of the nuance of its characters. But if you're someone who digs, say, the Lord of the Rings movies and just want some kind of slightly right. broader level uh fantasy it is pretty good and i think it's i would argue maybe one of the better roles henry cavill has done oh yeah uh, ever ever, probably
0: oh definitely i'd say he
1: seems very comfortable in it which is kind of cool
0: yeah we, Um, we, me connor me and you were talking it's almost like the secret with cavill is like you know he's such a handsome guy but when he plays it you know when he plays when he plays it unlikable yeah you know almost like cocksure but you know, with an edge as opposed to Superman, it's way right. it's way more convincing and way more kind of, in a weird way, way more likable. You know, like it almost feels like he's sure. more. And even Napoleon Solo in The Man from U.N.C.L.E. is similar, right? So, um, Man from U.N.C.L.E. will not be one of the Hugh Grant B sides we're talking about today. Um, even though you can almost call it one, it kind of wasn't a success. It's gained a lot of appreciation in the, you know the last few years. as kind of a missed. You know, a missed good studio movie. Uh and Hugh Grant's, If we're
1: if we're still around in a couple of years, maybe we'll maybe we'll uh we'll cover it in an army hammer or Henry Cavill
0: episode. Yeah. No, totally. Um mm. But you know, Hugh's in a few scenes kind of as he's Waverly. He's like one of the bosses in that movie. And he, he's pretty fun. He's got a couple of nice lines. Um it kind of speaks to him. Hugh Grant now is kind of more in that lane, you know, and it seems like the similar same thing with the gentleman where he's a supporting character actor you know paddington Two, of course one of his best performances recently or, or ever cloud atlas you know these movies where he's not really a leading man anymore but he's kind of adding a little bit of flavor to you know different different movies um the movies we're going to talk about are kind of more i mean they're almost directly post four weddings and a funeral right yeah um you know, you have, so just to go, just to list the four specifics, we have An Awfully Big Adventure, April 1995, The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain in May Buck 1995. Came down a mountain? Oh, sorry, Buck Came Down a Mountain. You're right. Who Went Up a Hill, Buck Came Down a Mountain, May 1995, Extreme Measures the Next Year, September 96, and then after a three-year break, Mickey Blue Eyes in August of 1999. And those last two were produced By his partner at the time, Elizabeth Hurley, as part of their uh, first look deal, their holding deal with Castle Rock. Those are the two that they kind of produced. And we'll talk more about that. So Hugh Grant, I can say in terms of Hugh in my life, I fell in love with him as an actor, whatever you want to call it, uh, from About a Boy. I remember when About a Boy came out in 2002. And I don't know how much of Hugh Grant I even knew before that. I would have been in my t- a teenager, young teenager, and I remember just being blown away by about a boy, and it was certainly one of my favorite movies up until that point. And um, I think that led me to kind of go, you know, discover Notting Hill, which I fell in love with, and it still remains one of my kind of personal favorite movies. I love Notting Hill, and then you know, down the line, nine months to a, obviously a little bit of a lesser degree, and. You know, I only recently just read and then watched Sense and Sensibility, which he's in, which is also kind of a nice, you know, nice small role earlier on in his career. What about you guys? When did you kind of get with Hugh in your movie-watching lives?
1: Um, My first experience with him, I was probably somewhere around Notting Hill, like where I actually like watched a Hugh Grant movie, right? Like, because I definitely remember like, my older siblings watching for weddings you know like obviously kind of wasn't you know I was younger so it wasn't really my cup of tea at the time um so i i i like remember him kind of being i remember being very Hugh adjacent and like looking at the things other people were watching sense and sensibility being another one um so i i had an idea of him you know but i i want to say maybe one of the first ones i ever really sat down and watched were probably either like Notting Hill or maybe even Mickey Mickey Blue Eyes.
0: You were just a boy standing and sitting in front of a television screen watching you. Waiting for it to love me. Asking him to love you. (laughs) Joe, what about you?
2: You know, it's it's funny. I was trying to think uh, when was the first Hugh Grant movie I saw. It, It had to be Mickey Blue Eyes, but probably at a time when it was like just running over and over again on TNT or something, you know? Um, I think it was probably one of those movies. My dad started watching for some reason. And then all of a sudden I was watching it too, you know, as a kid, uh, It it was funny when Connor asked me to, you know, if I wanted to join this episode, because the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, I haven't avoided Hugh Grant my entire life, but I also have just not watched most of his work. So I think watching these four movies is the most Hugh Grant I've ever watched. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's really, it's been an interesting exercise because I have a total new appreciation for Hugh Grant, um, you know, from these four films that you guys picked that are, you know, allegedly the ones that didn't do well, which is, which is kind of interesting, uh, but yeah, it's it was it was fascinating for sure. Yeah,
0: I think it's a, these four movies actually turned out to be a great almost um, you know charcuterie board of like Hugh Grant right because it's like an awfully big adventure which we'll, you know we'll start with is a performance that's totally different from what he became famous for, directed by the same guy who directed Four Weddings and a Funeral right, and they made an awfully big adventure in Dublin, Ireland, basically while Four Weddings and a Funeral was becoming this huge hit, right? And so like they made it obviously and started prepping it before they knew that Four Weddings was going to become what it became. And it's just so funny. Then it comes out the next year and people are just like, you know, this is not the Hugh Grant, you know, that we love in America all of a sudden, you know, and I just think it's interesting to think about in that context. And, you know, Alan Rickman, uh, is also in an awfully big adventure. He basically said in an interview, which I'll link to in the article, that he felt an awfully big adventure was hurt by the success of Four Weddings and in terms of the marketing of it. And you know, it made less than five hundred thousand dollars. It didn't cost a lot of money; it cost three, four million dollars. But ultimately, it kind of came and went. Didn't get amazingly good reviews either uh, when it came out. Mike Newell is the director, of course, famously the director of Prince of Persia: Sands of Time, which we have covered on this podcast. <laughs> we have. With Jake Gyllenhaal, so Mike Newell, very weird director as well. Donnie Brasco, right? Like, you know, uh, one of the Harry Potter movies. I think it's the Goblet of Fire, right? I mean, Goblet of Fire, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I always say is my favorite, but I don't even. If I'm being honest, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really revisited those movies in a long time.
1: I it's that's the one. Or no, I that, say
0: sorry. I say Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of right. Fire. Like those two, I like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That I would say that's the one that I that I only ever really stop to watch in any kind of like eh, like like i don't think i've ever put that movie on but like it if it's like on as part of a whatever marathon or something and it happens to be on tv that's like one of the only ones that i'll actually stop and like tune into for for a second i i dig that one he's i mean newell's kind of an interesting dude because he's like a he's like an interesting workman director kind of and i don't even i don't mean that as a slight but he seems like he kind of has an, an eclectic uh career you know
0: oh yeah and we were talking about it. i mean newell's a guy who he is you know been reinvigorated by big movies throughout his career right because he was a small-time director right makes four weddings for no money with hugh grant right kind of richard curtis scripts not a lot of expectations becomes this huge thing you're an awfully big adventure is right before donnie brasco which is like Kind of an Oscar-y movie with young Johnny Depp and Al Pacino that really puts Newell on the map, and then he literally, I think, makes before he like takes that next step. Mike Newell makes um, pushing tin, which like nobody sees, even though it's a pretty good movie, uh, which I we talked about as well uh, when we talked about Cape Blanchett a long, long time ago. It's a John Cusack movie with Cape Blanchett as well, Billy Bob Thornton, and then. I think right after that, I'm just looking at his filmography, Donnie Brasco, yeah, Pushington. And then it's like Mona Lisa Smile, Harry Potter, you know what I mean? And then he gets to do Love in the Comet, Time of Cholera, which nobody sees. And then Prince of Persia, and then he makes a great Expectations adaptation that um, not a lot of people see. So he's kind of ebbing and flowing with like big movies. And he did a movie uh, that was on Netflix called The Guernsey Literary and Peti- Potato Peel Pie Society. Which is based on this the book of the same name, which I kind of liked. Lily James is in that one, um, so yeah, he's a really kind of crazy, eclectic director. This movie, though, an awfully big adventure. Oh boy, Oy. <laughs> this is uh, I mean, wow. So, who wants to start? You I want to just go, yeah, I go mean, for it. <laughs> so basically, uh, they filmed it in Dublin, but it's set in Liverpool uh, right after the end of World War II, I think nineteen forty seven. Um, There's a quick prologue where there's a family in a bomb shelter and a woman leaves uh, the baby in a basement. And then we basically kind of fade out and it becomes the main uh, story many years later, right after World War II in Liverpool. uh, There's a 16-year-old, the the heroine of the movie, 16-year-old Stella. She's obsessed with the local theater in Liverpool. She's living with her aunt and uncle and she basically finagles her way to get an audition with the local director of this like theater troupe in Liverpool, whose name is Meredith Potter, who's Hugh Grant. Yes. And yeah. his partner, the stage manager, whose name is Bunny, who's Peter Firth, who you know from a million movies. And basically on a lark, uh, Meredith Potter gives her a job as like an assistant, and then she plays a small role in a Caesar play that they're doing. And she, early on, it's clear she has this enormous... Crush on uh, Hugh Grant's character, who is this fucking sniveling, horrible little man? Like from yeah. the from the minute you meet him, and Peter Furst's character is clearly more kind and has a has his own infatuation with the Hugh Grant character, and um, and that's what the movie is, right? Basically, it's this young girl's, young teenagers' kind of absorption of. This post-war theater company, all the sexual politics involved, all the gossip, all the nasty little things happening. They talk a lot about this actor, P.L. O'Hara, who, you know, his photos on the wall, you know, the prop, the prop master has a review of the last time P.L. O'Hara played Captain Hook um, because they loved his set. And it's a photo of Alan Rickman, who doesn't really show up until halfway through the movie, though he is first built which i thought was interesting
1: it and it does you kind of do realize it it is they sort of trade off as co-leads kind of because it's
0: definitely um, yeah, he's the you know i guess you i mean this is almost it's weird to say this but he you know georgina cates who's the lead is is the hero but he's in a way the heart and soul of kind of the dark soul of this movie you know sure. uh, alan rickman um and he's looking pretty good in this movie, which is a weird thing to say, obviously given what what happens. But, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, well, I guess I don't want to spoil it. Really, I, I don't
1: know. I think we should because well, I feel like
0: you can't really talk about this movie. Yeah, without I guess you're right. It. All
1: right. Well, so I think I mean, frankly, I'll just say we should just we're going to spoil every movie we talk about.
0: Okay, let's do it. This will just so, be a free for all episode.
1: So we're. I'm just. I'll say that now. Yeah, we're going to spoil. An awfully big adventure, Englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain, extreme measures, and Mickey Blue Eyes. So if you either you, we know, can't, you don't care, keep, we can't spoil Mickey Blue Eyes. Just kidding. Oh no. <laughs> um, and uh, but if you if you have any inkling to see these movies, and I would actually I'll just say quickly, I'd recommend all of them. Like they're kind of like just interesting watches, but um but Take a look.
2: I come back. I would listen. Not, I would not recommend uh, an awfully big adventure. I, I, <laughs> I just probably I, just for the sanity of it, <laughs> it's probably a better book. Yeah, but, the
0: book is by well, we should say Beryl Bainbridge wrote it in 1990. Uh, she since yeah. passed, but yeah, I mean, I will say, I I want to read the book now. Yeah, uh, it's
1: probably a better book. They basically what we're sort of tiptoeing around is Georgina Kate's character uh, gets into a sexual relationship. With Alan Rickman.
0: Wow, and wow. She's still kind of pining for Hugh Grant.
1: For Hugh Grant, right. And it's just like, it's it's gross on its own level, right? He's because he's so she's much older. Yeah, she's 16 and he's so much older than she is. So it's already gross. And then as the movie goes on and she uh, finally kind of, she has both confrontations with Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman. Um, as Alan Rickman and Hugh Grant kind of become at odds with one another because Alan Rickman sort of discovers that Hugh Grant has been taking advantage of young men. Um, well, so he
0: yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, Alan Rickman's character returns to play Captain Hook because I think – the The original Captain Hook get is incapacitated, right, or something like that. So they like they call P.L. O'Hara back, and essentially, you get the feeling from the moment he returns that he hates Meredith Potter, right? And it's yeah. you basically learn it's because this horrible man, Meredith Potter, Hugh Grant's character, preys on young men. I mean, that's just what he does. Like, yeah, it. Oh, he he's a horrible person, you know. From you know, like we said, who. You know, and another kind of stagehand actor who, in his own way, kind of sexually assaults uh the Georgina Cates character in the yeah. beginning oh of the God. movie. It's so gross. He, that's what Alan Rickman learns is that that young man, he's like 18, whatever it is, is being kind of, you know, psychologically tortured, sexually tortured by uh the Hugh Grant character. So, yeah.
1: And as as this goes on, and they sort of have their own sort of back and forth with each other, um, the, the all of these dynamics culminate in um, Alan Rickman discovering that he is, in fact, Georgina Cates' father. And he has the natural reaction one should have when that happens. He's just like, gobsmacked and grossed out and whatever. Uh, And he winds up sort of running to a dock that he consistently visits to watch people get off a boat because he would go there to sort of await the appearance of his long lost son. Um, And he, you know, he believed he had a long lost son. It turned out he had a daughter. And when sort of everything comes together for him, he winds up going to the dock, accidentally slipping and hitting his head, and falling in the water, and dying. So, she never finds out, and that's kind of the note that the, I mean, that's generally just the note that the movie ends on, and it's fucking crazy.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and he, you know, he, yeah, he's, he mentions throughout the movie, he, like, pines for this woman named Stella Maris, who, like, disappeared, and he's always wondered where she is, and he's haunted by it and he goes to the dock, right, thinks he has a son, right, and yeah. I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I did like this movie. Um, you know, I it's, I it's, did
1: until like, d- until like the last like 15 minutes. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, yeah. I, and you know, I finished it yesterday and I've you know, obviously spent the last day kind of whatever thinking about all the movies and, and I don't know. I mean, this is one of these movies, you know, of course it made no money. It's, it's funny cause the title is I think a very bad title, you know, It's a reference to Peter Pan in which, you know, the quote to die will be an awfully big adventure. Right. And, you know, it's based on the novel. So I guess you have to title it that. But yeah, of course, the title promises something far different from what this is, you know, naturally. but I think I would say that the
1: poster, if you look at the poster, the poster feels like it's for the right movie. Sure. But the title, the title yeah. doesn't
2: like you, you think so. See, it's it's funny because when I, I, I finished the movie and I was like, I would have hated to be the, the people who had to market. This oh, thing yeah. Because oh, totally. I don't, like, I, I don't yeah. know how you market it. It's it's like everyone in the everyone in it is miserable. Uh, The story is sad. Um, The two main characters, one of them shows up an hour after the first one. Uh, And the main, you know, the main character is the girl who is, you know, I I mean, talk about a movie that could have used... would have been a lot better if it was directed by a woman or written by a woman or had more women involved when it was being made because I I feel like her story uh you know really falls to the wayside versus sure. Hugh Grant's story and Alan Rickman's story and, and you know it was funny watching it because it, it to me it didn't even feel like a, a cohesive movie until Alan Rickman's character arrives oh I, and yeah, by point, I agree with that you're you're already an hour in the movie you know um, yeah I agree with that so it was yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah I mean I was that's funny that you said that Joe I was gonna say. Um well the minute Alan Rickman shows up is when the movie kind of started to lock in for me, which I feel like, you know, isn't necessarily the greatest move because of course you have like 45 minutes of kind of setup. And I mean, yeah, I mean, look, it it was not amazingly reviewed when it came out. I think partly because, you know, Hugh Grant was established as this other person mere, you know, months before, essentially. And then Which is funny, though, also in its own way, because Hugh Grant, you know, if you think about a movie like Morris, which is kind of his first real movie, the Merchant Ivory movie from the late 80s, and then kind of movies like Bitter Moon. And he was playing characters like the character in Awfully Big Adventure. And in Janet Maslin's New York Times review, she mentions this, where it's funny how, you know, the movie almost was half maligned because it wasn't for weddings, when in fact those these were more of the roles in the characters Hugh Grant was playing before The Surprise Hit of Four Weddings. So it's really interesting, you know, if this movie had come out in 93, I do wonder if it had gotten a little bit more kind of critical attention. It's a fine line features movie which was they were big in the 90s. They're no longer around, but they competed with Miramax heavily for like these types of movies totally different time. I mean, I don't even know who makes this movie now. I mean, this seems like
1: I I don't I, I mean, and I I think a big problem with it and Joe, to your point about marketing it, like my big thing, especially once I got to the end is like, what is this movie saying? And like, who is it for even? Yeah. And I guess to your point, Joe, if it had a little bit more of a female gaze on it, right, just kind of down the line, like directed by a woman and just more women involved when it was getting made. It's probably a way better movie because that feels like the angle that the story wants to take, and I have not read the novel, but I would imagine I can't help but imagine that that's more of the angle that it takes right
2: yeah, I mean, and that that was you know as I was watching it and and I thought Hugh Grant was great in it, you know just to to get back to Hugh Grant real quick um and again, not knowing much about Hugh Grant and not having seen like all the movies that he's super popular for, it was kind of crazy for me to to see him playing this type of character, you know um you know, and again, like Dan said, you know, it, it, he's mean, he's conniving, uh, he's dismissive. You know, uh, he thinks he's a genius, but he is he really? Um, you know, and and again, that, so that was super fun. I, I think. You know, overall of the of the movies we watched for for this episode, like that was one of the things I pulled away was like, wow, these aren't actually easy roles. Like and I'll, when we talk about the other movies, I'll bring this up again. But like, I, I can't imagine many actors doing this part well. Right. And I thought he sure. did a really, a really good job he, with it.
1: He's got a real um, he's got a real phantom thread energy to him in this movie, which I like he's he is great as the you know, as the shitty genius. Right. Like
0: Yeah, that's a great comparison. I now I now all yeah. I want to see is a PTA Hugh Grant movie. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> well that's well that was one of the
1: things I did jot down is like what I would love next for right, him is right, I right. think I think PTA would do wonders with Hugh Grant. But um no, but I th- he's got all that kind of energy in this movie, and I think it's uh i i I think it suits him and you know i don't obviously i don't know if that's very complimentary to hugh grant but he's he he feels really really locked in and i i think part of it is like for me what i've loved watching all these movies is as you said dan they are kind of like the different facets of things that he kind of locks into and he's he's pretty good at all of them and It made me kind of realize, like, obviously, my impression of Hugh Grant is like either like the bumbling charmer, yeah, floppy hair, or or the or the cad, right? Like in my mind, like he kind of has like those two sort of avenues, and that might generally be true. Like those are probably what he gets slotted into the most. Like. There's a really great one of those GQ memorable roles videos that I would suggest you watch where he goes through a bunch of his memorable uh, roles. You can find it on YouTube. And he kind of talks about that a little bit, how he slides a lot into like those sort of different kinds of things, even when he tries not to. Um, But I think this movie in particular is sort of an example of maybe something that you don't see in either of those two avenues, um, which I think is really Really cool. I, so I would say, yeah, I would, I would generally recommend it, especially if you want to see the interesting Hugh Grant performance. Um, it's, I mean, it is, you know, like Joe said, it's sad and dark and like, I, I, I don't know. It, it definitely puts you in a weird headspace after you watch it for sure. But, but
0: don't um, you wish like a little bit of this nihilism, like a little bit of this, like, nihilistic touch had been put to like prince of persia like you know what i mean like a little bit of this like you know it's so different but you think about mike newell like i always think it's fascinating with directors like this where this is so dark if there had been a little bit of an edge you know brought to some of the performances or some of the sequences in you know some of his bigger movies. And perhaps he does a little bit of that in Goblet of Fire, actually, because that's a darker yeah, Harry Potter a little, movie. A, a little bit, yeah. But I, that's one of those things I, I kind of help, couldn't help thinking about.
1: I was going to say that. And like, I mean, Four Weddings even has kind of a, not a nihilistic thing, but, you know, and I guess spoilers for Four Weddings. But um, like the whole place that Four Weddings lands, at least for the main characters, is like, yeah, marriage, like, yeah, like, we don't need it, right? Like, yeah. it, it, it falls in a very, like, even though they wind up together and seemingly have a happy life, like, in a somewhat more, you know, uh, c- cynical place, I think, than, than you would imagine most, you know, big sweep, than say, certainly, like, maybe other Richard Curtis movies do, right?
0: Like, oh, yeah. I mean, Annie thing. McDowell's but, whole character is very kind of, you know, she's sleeping with a married man, you know what I mean? That, that her whole yeah. character is certainly kind of, you know, life isn't that great. We're, we're all doing our best type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, counteracting. yeah. So it's, yeah. It,
1: it's kind of, I think that's sort of Mike Newell's, uh, it, that's sort of, that feels like his speed. General, but yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I like, it's, it's a, a awfully big adventure is a weird, I, I don't quite know what to make of it, frankly. Like, it's, yeah, you
2: know, it's, it's funny. Cause as I was watching it, I was saying to myself, wow, th- this was really well cast But I don't know if there's actually a great way to make a movie with this story. I I, I think it's a I think as a book, it was probably really incredible, especially if I I haven't read the book. But, you know, with that reveal at the end where, you know, he's her father. I mean, I could imagine as as a reader being sitting there being like, "Oh, oh, my God, like, I can't believe this is happening sort of thing. But watching it happen, it was just like two hours, or I forget how long the movie was, a little over two yeah, hours. Maybe. Yeah,
0: a little under yeah. uh
2: w- was not long enough. It was <laughs> it, yeah. w- it was not long enough for to for that you know, to create the kind of emotion you would need right. for that kind of reveal to really pay off. Well, because um, they're they don't yeah,
1: they don't there's no processing of it.
2: Yeah. Really. Right. Like, there's right. one it,
1: scene where Rickman gets to process it and they don't even and and you know I don't know maybe this is something the book goes into more but like there's not even the drama of like ooh she can never know like do you know what I mean like there's not even the drama of him then suddenly trying to protect her from it from that information. Well, yeah, really. it's not
0: it's not old boy right where it's like a whole separate yeah, part yeah. of the movie. Um,
1: and one that like yeah yeah
0: yeah one funny thing I just wanted to mention so Georgina Cates who like we said plays Stella who's the lead in the movie um, her given name is Claire Woodgate. Um, This is from a New York Times article. She, when they filmed, was actually 20 years old. And she initially did not get the role, but then legally changed her name to Georgina Cates and um, dyed her hair red and basically took on the role in real life of a Liverpool teenager named Georgina Cates and re-auditioned and got the role in this movie. So it's interesting when you watch this movie, she's 20 years old filming she looks so young. Like even her like even when I was watching, I didn't know this. Her being 16 seemed like too old to me. You know what I mean? Like which yeah, made, yeah, which yeah, made yeah. the Alan Rickman stuff even creepier, right? Obviously. Yeah. But then it's and so guess, crazy that she's actually 20 when they're filming, which I guess made me feel better morally. <laughs> but but um, right, <laughs> but it's interesting. And Alan Rickman was kind of not happy when he found out that she was and this is such an actor. Thing And I suppose, understandably, he she he wasn't amazingly happy that she was older because, you know, I guess you want, if you're going to actually, you know, pretend to do these scenes, obviously, like there's that element of whatever. But I mean, it, credit, credit to them, it really feels like it, it really sells it.
1: In, in accounts that I had read, he had he wasn't happy about it because he had gone out of his way to be more like gentle and like very cautious, you know, especially when they're like filming their love scenes. Cause he, in my, in his head was like, this is a 16 year old girl. And, I, you know, it's like trying to be, I guess, as much of a yeah. gentleman as possible. But, uh, and he was, yeah, I guess he was a little annoyed when he found out that she wasn't cause he had sort of taken all that care, but I, whatever. Good on him either way, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now
0: let me just mention, right. So 95. Okay. For Hugh, this is like his Jude law year. Right, He is in five movies, right? And when I say Jude Law year, I'm referencing 2004, right? Which is when Jude Law, if you remember, he gets kind of dissed by Chris Rock at the Oscars. And then Sean Penn says... You know, do you guys remember that when Chris Rock was like, who is Jude Law? Who's this guy, Jude Law? Like, you know, yeah, it, what is? and then like Sean Payne came out and Sean Payne came out and was like, to answer Chris Rock's, Jude Law is one of our finest actors. You know, Sean Penn being overly serious. <laughs> but, you know, so Jude Law in 04 it was I Heart Huckabees, the Alfie remake, Closer, the Aviator, Sky Captain of the World Tomorrow. And he's Lemony Snicket in the Lemony Snicket series of A unfortunate events movie. So he's in six When did movies. he do Sleuth? Sleuth is... Oh seven. Oh, okay. And then if you, in comparison, nineteen ninety-five, Hugh Grant, it's awfully big adventure, Englishman, nine months, sense and sensibility, and restoration, which we've also talked about on the podcast with Meg Ryan and um, I think somebody else, right? Who else is in? Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Right? We, Robert we talked Downey a little bit, yeah. Jr. So it's crazy. Like this is the big you know, to be but to become immediately famous in ninety four and then have five movies the next year. It is it is similar to Jude Law. Jude Law got the Oscar nom in 03 for Cold Mountain and then was in f- like six movies the next year. Um, so it's funny. Um, so Englishman who went up a hill, but came down a mountain, also filmed essentially before the success of Four Weddings. A similar thing in the sense that it's way more likable, so it's way different than an awfully big adventure, but um, He's kind of the lead but it's more of an ensemble piece, right Connor? You want to yeah. you want to tell us what uh what this movie's about.
1: So it's based on uh it it presents itself as if it's uh and I think presents itself very well as if it's a true story. It's complete fiction. It's based on a, a local Welsh legend basically. Um and it's essentially about a uh a man played by Hugh Grant who goes with his colleague, they're, they're uh, cartographers, and they go to the Welsh countryside to a town, and basically the big staple of this town is that it's the first mountain in Wales, right? Is their their, their big mountain, is this first mountain in Wales. So because they're cartographers, they go there to, to measure the mountain and all that, and they reveal to the locals who are kind of led by Cole Meany, who I think is also really great in this movie. Um, he's a local pub owner. Um, they go and, uh, you know, they measure it and they reveal to everybody that it's only, it's like just under a thousand feet, which is the requirement for it to be considered officially uh, a mountain.
0: Yeah. And it's, and uh, it's a, World War One is going on. It's like 1917. Wow. This is all yeah, happening.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's basically, it's, you know, it's uh I, I want to say it's what it's like twenty feet short, essentially. Um, right. So they, the locals, basically wound up consp- wind up conspiring uh, against Hugh Grant, and who plays his? Um,
0: it's um Ian McNeese. Ian McNeice, Ian McNeice. G- yeah. George he- George Garrod, G- Garrod.
1: Yeah, you you would recognize him uh, if you saw him. Hugh Grant and Ian McNeese essentially get stalled uh, in in this town. And meanwhile, Cole Meany kind of leads the locals in in sort of mo- literally moving Earth to uh, to stack it on top of the hill to to reach their, their 20 feet goal and essentially conspire, secretly conspire against Hugh Grant and Ian McNeese to like keep them there so that they have to measure the mountain again, basically, is sort of the, is sort of the, general just to the movie and they go through various things like the they're you know the town mechanic basically breaks their car without telling them and then tells them that he doesn't have the part to fix it um there's a moment uh at a certain point where the uh the local uh you know chaplain you know stabs their tire um and then essentially it just a bunch of rain hits and uh and that stalls them for for quite a bit um and then they essentially they, you know, work towards constructing this mountain. And while they're there, Hugh Grant uh falls in love with uh, a local woman who you would recognize from uh from Game of Thrones. Um her name is Terra Fitzgerald. Tara Fitzgerald. Um she's uh she's I, I think she's Stannis Baratheon's wife. On oh Game my of gosh, she is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Wow. But uh, and she's quite charming in this movie. I oh think. yeah. I, think, I mean, I I think this the, that would be the word I think generally for this movie. Um, and Dan, you and I mentioned this when we were both watching it, but um, it's this movie has got some real waking Ned Divine vibes to oh, it. Yeah. Like it's very. Oh, yeah it's just nice like it's just well it's like
0: I, I, it's like you know if you know that if you know Bill Forsyth's movie Bill Forsyth's movies like Local Hero right or like you know Waking the Divine that's what it is it's like a charming yeah. small town movie or like you know some of the um some of the uh, Al Guinness movies right you know I can't think of the name of the company um that he made but um it's like that right Lavender Hill Mob right like it's like that type of small town british charm to it which I, I i'll be honest this i think is my favorite of the of the movies we're going to talk about i really like this movie a lot
1: yeah it's i think it's it's just uh i, I think it works on a couple different levels like like i said colmeeney's like really funny in it and he's and he's really great and i think his just general like pugnaciousness uh yeah like you just you he seems like just one of those tried and true characters who has that constant sort of chip of you think you're better than me sort of on his shoulder. Uh, but he plays it really well and, and not so much that it's like annoying or anything like that. It's like really, I don't know. There's like a real humanism, despite sort of the general, like whimsical nature of the movie, there's a real humanism to like all of the characters.
0: Um, well, and like he has, he has like a, a feud with the local priest, because partly because he doesn't go to church and partly because he keeps sleeping with all of the, all of the women in the town and all of the kids have red hair because he keeps sleeping with (laughs) all of the wives and the
2: women, which I just, I mean, that's like a thing. And the, the tone is played. So it's a great, sorry, car, not to to cut you (laughs) off. That's a great idea. Like there, there are so many layers to this movie and I, I thought it was the best made one of the, of the ones we watched. Definitely. Um, and as you're watching it, you, you're kind of saying to yourself, oh, wow, there's there's like a lot going on here. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like minor storylines happening and, and it's actually really, really interesting. And, you know, I, I thought it had a really sweet heart to it. Um, You know, one of the whole one of the whole motivations for the townspeople trying to do this is because, you know, they're the people who didn't go to fight World War One and they, they feel like they owe it to the guys who did. And it's like, wow, what a really cool like, you know, motivation for a town that's basically about to orchestrate a caper. You know to raise a hill 20 feet um you know to fool these cartographers so it's yeah it was super super sweet
0: yeah I mean this is just one of those things I mean I think you know me and Connor have talked about this off off mic like you know you know blaming on 2020 2019 right the current state of affairs but I feel like movies like this they're 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 worth their weight in gold. You know, I just like I watch movies like this, and I'm like, yeah, I I could watch this 45 times. Like, yeah, this, I mean, this movie
1: <laughs> is some serious Dan. You know, Michael we Korn, oh, this sure. is
0: heavy Dan Michael Core. Like we <laughs> we talked about there there's there is um there's this movie called um <laughs> there's this movie called recently recent movie called The Grand Seduction, which you know indie movie. And it's uh, Brendan Gleeson and Taylor Kitsch. And it's like a similar thing. It's like a local doctor. or no, uh, Sorry, not a local doctor. A, a, a doctor comes into town. I believe he's an American doctor or whatever the case. I feel like it's set in Canada. And it's like a similar thing. They have to like put on a ruse to get this thing to, you know, you know, keep the townspeople in order or whatever. And I just, that type of stuff, like cute, but but like you're saying, Joe, layered, you know, well-written Connor, you brought up Christopher Monger who directed it. This is his family's like legend, like his family's from this area of South Wales, you know, that this legend comes from. And, you know, even though it's not quote unquote true, it's based on the real village of Taft's well. And there's the Garth Hill is the hill that they're kind of referencing, you know, fictionalizing in this story. And, um, and I will say this, not to get overly personal, but I, I've been lucky enough to work and film in Wales uh, with my, you know, just a couple of years ago. And this movie really does capture, like... What an unbelievably weird, beautiful place that is. Like there are some shots, you know, on top of the hill or mountain, I suppose, you know, that really captures it's a mystical place. You know, there's not I can't imagine there are many other places like Wales. I mean, I actually filmed in North Wales. It's a little different than South Wales. And, you know, a Welsh person would kind of, you know, tell you that, you know, uh, quite, quite uh, defiantly. But suffice it to say, there's a charm here that is you know easier said than done and i think um you know this movie's forgotten it made 10 million dollars you know hugh grant's like the you know he's like the the center of the poster, you could obviously tell Miramax was trying to capitalize on, you know, the success of, you know, the four weddings and, and, you know, the impending nine months. And that didn't really happen, but I hope people discovered, I I don't know. I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's on Hulu currently. You you know, it's sad for, for me of the ones we watched. This was the one Hugh Grant performance that I thought it, it didn't really have to be Hugh. It almost could have been anybody in, in that part. Um, you know, but the overall, it's it's definitely the the best movie of the of this bunch. Yeah, I, sure. I
0: totally agree yeah. with you there, Joe. Yeah, the, it's weird because it's the best movie I think of the four. But also, yeah, it could have been, you know, give me young, give me Colin Farrell ten years after this. You know, like early aughts, uh, Colin Farrell. I would, I probably would have loved it just as much.
1: Yeah, like any any. Um... I mean, although Colin Farrell passing for an Englishman might have been kind of tough. At well, the time, he could have but... been.
0: Well, I mean, they could have made him Welsh, Irish. I don't know. Right? Well, it's
1: all. It's the Englishman who went up a hill. Damn, they could have so, called it the Welshman who
0: went up a hill. Um, I. It reminds me of our editor friend, very talented filmmaker Chris McGuire, who is. <laughs> Who is Welsh? We were on set once, and I called him Irish uh, to somebody who was asking for him, and he heard me, and he almost beat the shit out of me. So don't <laughs> don't make that mistake. I I still feel bad about that. Sorry, sorry, Chris. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I mean, I I I I think I would generally just wholeheartedly recommend it. I think Hugh is good. And I, I don't know if I agree that anybody could have done it necessarily in terms of like another leading man, but I do think you could slot him out with, I think probably a few of the usual suspects, like, like Colin Firth could have done this and done a wonderful job, right? Like it's, you know, it a better,
0: com- a better column. Thank you, Connor. Better call. Yeah,
1: sure. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so you could definitely slot him out, but I think, um, yeah, I, it, it, it's basically, you know it's super enjoyable um, it's just nice it's like a super nice goes down easy and I it's even, not too long I love the, epi- the epilogue
0: you know which I think is was just faked I, I suppose is like the modern day townspeople they like remeasure it in the 90s and they find it short And the modern day town people the oh. epilogue put the put the dirt back on the mound I love that I was like yeah give me Englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain too I, I see the yeah. shit out of it <laughs> Englishman who went (laughs) up a mountain, came down a hill. Um, Uh. So, yeah, I mean, 95, I just, we should bring up before we kind of bop over to 96. You know, Busy Year, like we mentioned, he makes Nine Months, which is his big Hollywood post for weddings. He gets the paycheck. He gets the big starring role. Now, Nine Months is probably most famous for it being the movie that gets maligned because this is, of course, when Hugh Grant Gets caught with a uh, sex worker in a car, his car in, I think it was, it was right before Nine Months came out and it was, her name yeah. was Divine Brown and it's, you know, well known now. I mean, I, th- I maybe kind of weirdly forgotten, you know, it kind of speaks to the difference in tabloid news, you know, you know, 25 years later, but it was a big deal in 95. And uh,
1: it, it it was a very big, de- I mean, I did, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause obviously you can't really, you can't really knock Cause it's such, it was such like, I think a, a huge moment in his career. uh Just publicly speaking. Yeah. He was with Elizabeth,
0: he was li- with Elizabeth early at the time. Right. And, um and that was a huge couple. Like she wore the dress to the premiere, right? Like, you know, yeah. she, it was, she was, she was becoming everywhere, you know, and um, yeah, people credit Jay Leno's enduring number one status over David Letterman with the Hugh Grant appearance in 1995 because well, cause
1: that was the only one uh, based on the little limited amount of research I was able to do specifically on that event. um, That was the only one that he like couldn't cancel. It was like so last minute because he immediately it was like right when nine months was coming out. And so he was doing press for nine months when it happened. Yeah. And he and he basically immediately canceled a bunch of his appearances and whatnot. Uh and I think that was the only one he couldn't. And L- Leno, to his credit, I'm not a huge Jay Leno fan, but to his credit, straight up was like, What the hell are you Oh, thinking? it's a great, like pour, it's a great yeah, it's,
0: late uh, night yeah. like segment.
1: Uh if I can find it, I will drop it in right here. What the hell were you <laughs> thinking? <laughs>
0: You know, I, I, the thing is, um, I, I, people give me
2: tons of um, ideas on this one. I keep reading new, you know, psychological theories and stuff like that. that um, <laughs> you know, that I was under pressure, or I was uh, overtired, or I was uh, lonely, or I fell down the stairs when I was a child or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, uh, you know, I, I think it would, that would be uh, you know, bollocks, really, to, to hide behind right. a, uh, something like that. You know, you, I think you know in life... Uh, pretty much what's a good thing to do and what's a, b- a bad thing. And um, I did a bad thing, and th- there you have it. Well,
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: And I think to your point, they might have canceled stuff initially, but then Hugh Grant basically, it's, it's a great PR, st- I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, shameful, what he did, of course, and, you know, whatnot. But, you know, Liz Hurley handled it really well. They're still friends to this day. They, of course, ended up splitting, but you know, she handled it with AbLom Like she went with him to the premiere and he kind of, it's like, a, from a public relations perspective, it's a very interesting, he owned it, right? Like after the, yeah. after the Jay Leno thing, he basically took it on the chin, was very self-deprecating and it really worked. I mean, nine months, it ultimately only made $140 million worldwide, which I think at the time was considered a disappointment because Chris Columbus was coming off of Mrs. Dowfire, Hugh Grant was coming off of four weddings, but, Anybody nowadays would kill, any studio head would kill for a rom-com to make $140 million worldwide. Sure. You know what I mean? So a thousand I feel like, And you can't tell me it didn't make $30 million in DVD sales, right? So I just, right. I feel like it ultimately still was kind of a success. It wasn't well-reviewed. I rewatched it, um, you know, just in you know, prep for this uh, podcast. It's on HBO right now. I mean, it's not a great movie. There's some great little moments. Jeff Goldblum's pretty great. And Julianne Moore, one of her first, first starring roles. Um, I think Robin Williams has a nice kind of look, couple of moments. Yeah, he's, he's the, the doctor, doctor. Yeah. you know? So, yeah, but I just, I feel like we had to bring it up because that was his big 95 movie that ultimately kind of got muddled in all that stuff. Chris Columbus, also the director handled it really well. Um, another Harry Potter, uh, connection. He directed the first two. So, Oh, right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the only other ones, we mentioned Restoration, we mentioned Sense and Sensibility. So then 96, our third movie, it's the first movie he basically produces as part of his Castle Rock deal with Elizabeth Hurley. She's credited as a producer. I don't believe he is. Um, and Simeon was their company? Simeon, thing, I believe. yeah. Simeon. The only two movies they ended up getting made were Extreme Measures and Mickey Blue Eyes. Both are disappointments uh, at the box office. Um, Extreme Measures... Uh, I guess I should talk about the plot of this movie. It's so crazy. Um, it's '96, directed by Michael Apted, uh, screenplay by the one and only Tony Gilroy,
1: based on a novel, based on a novel correct? by
0: Michael yep. Palmer. Um, it's you got Hugh Grant, you got Gene Hackman, you got Sarah Jessica Parker, you got David Morse in the David Morse role. Um, you have a, you have a, and I. This is so weird to say, but Connor basically put put a worm in my ear, and he's right. A truly misguided score by danny elfman um and uh yeah it cost 38 and it made 17 so did not do well like we said um hugh grant plays a idealistic young doctor in manhattan and he works at gramercy hospital and at the beginning of the movie these two They appear to be homeless men. They escape this facility of some sort. They're naked running through the streets. We don't really know what's going on. One of them winds up on the operating table of Dr. Guy Luthen, who is Hugh Grant. And they can't save him. They don't know what is wrong with him. He basically convulses. They they get him stable. And then he convulses again and he dies. And And then Hugh Grant kind of becomes curious because he's like, why did he die at my table? And the body disappears, right? Like the body goes to go to the morgue, but then it's not in the morgue. And so Hugh Grant kind of goes on this detective, you know, uh, tract to figure out what the heck is going on. And ultimately what you learn is there's this famous doctor played by Eugene Hackman in a small role. He really only is in the back half of the movie, aside from kind of an early one, early scene Uh, Hugh Grant basically finds out that there is this famous doctor who him and his team, this evil corporation, like Shadow Corporation, they are (laughs) grabbing homeless men off of the streets of New York and using them as guinea guinea pigs and testing um, different ways of curing forms of paralysis by like digging into their healthy spines to see, like essentially making them paralyzed so that they can try to make them not paralyzed. Yeah, um, basically. It's insane, but yes. weirdly... Now, Some would
1: say it's extreme.
0: <laughs> now, here's the thing. And I don't know if I've said this on this podcast. I am not a conspiracy theorist, okay, by nature. I'm not one of those people. But one of the reasons this movie kind of really worked for me, and I kind of really enjoyed this movie, is I if, I if I adhere to one conspiracy theory, I'm one of those people who kind of believes there's a cure for cancer in a lab somewhere and, like, like pharmaceutical corporations are basically not distributing it to the world because of the money being made. That's a horrible, terrible yeah. opinion. Well it's
1: a very it's a but, very like constant gardenery yeah. kind of thing. Right. And yeah, I also like really that like of... the
0: constant gardener. I think this type of thing is kind of I don't know, it's an interesting movie. Hugh Grant, I was there's a great sag after interview he gave when he was doing press for like awards press for Florence Foster Jenkins, which he is great in. Um There's a great, it's an hour-long interview. I'm gonna, I'll link to it in the article. It's such a great talk. Um, he basically he in that same interview, he blames nine months' failure on his performance, right? He talks about how he really wasn't engaged with it. Um he almost like apologizes for it, which is pretty interesting. Um, and he talks about extreme measures and he says how they basically made the movie because the script was hot and there was a lot of pressure to make a movie cuz they had the overall deal with castle rock and it was meant to be a parking lot movie which is like you're leaving the theater and you talk about you know essentially oh it's an interesting thing to talk about you know gene hackman's whole theory is like isn't it worth a few homeless people to cure paralysis right which right. is like damn. like what like it's about medical
1: sacrifice basically is sort of like what it tries to kind of dig into in terms of like the ethics of it or or non ethics of it right
0: yeah so it hit my um, conspiratorial sweet spot, we'll say. You know, and and I don't know, I like these movies. We talked about it's kind of like The Firm, yeah. you know the Gene Hackman factor. It's kind of like one of these 90s off, you know, off Grisham movies. Um and it, Hugh Grant's doing something different. He's got some zest. There's a funny scene where there's a woman screaming in the hospital while he's like walking with one of his fellow doctors or orderlies and he's like the the, the guy's like Why is that woman screaming? And he's like, she probably just got a bill. Classic.
2: That's classic stuff. (laughs) I love it. Tony Gilroy, good writer. What do you think, Joe? No, I, you know, I, again, I thought this was another one where Hugh Grant did a really good job with a really tough role. Like... You know, so, okay, so you're going to play a doctor who's about to go on an adventure that takes you into like, you know, some weird, weird places with homeless people getting operated on. But also now you're going underground in Grand Central and there are mole people and you're going to meet them and befriend them. And then you're going to take one person and you're going to go back up and you're going to fight some dirty FBI agents. You know, it's like. Who would you cast to do this? And who could you put this... Like, who could handle this except Hugh Grant? You know, like, in that moment. I, I really well, don't know. I mean, it, I think, it, was, I think it was great. You could, it was just great. I, I agree. I think
1: you could... I do think you could plug in a couple, obviously, of, like, the the other 90s leading men. I'm glad it's Hugh Grant, though, because I think... I I can't help but wonder, you know... I mean, you're not going to get Ford to do this because it's uh, it's some version well, of the Well, Connor, Gimble, you, you right? said,
0: right, it was written for... With Baldwin, Baldwin, Baldwin in mind, Baldwin. Right?
1: which feels which feels all wrong though, you know. Like, and it's actually it's funny. Well, to I think know that they this was they,
0: they rewrote after after Elizabeth Hurley and Hugh Grant came in. I know they rewrote it for Hugh Grant, obviously, right? Like it's written, which, you know, to, to have, have some of his like anachronisms and stuff in it, you know
2: yeah and i got gotcha. you <laughs> that that's that's interesting to hear because i i really did as i was watching it i was like oh wow you know you couldn't like like you said other people maybe baldwin could have done this thing but it fit him perfectly but that makes sense if they rewrote it for it definitely he i
1: i think baldwin would have been too much of like a movie star for it i think you know Ford it, it's basically the richard kimball role right, right to a to a degree um I, the only other, like it's, it's got a little bit of firm energy. So maybe like a young Cruz could have done it, but he also like, so there's maybe that, but like outside of him, I think Hugh is kind of perfect for it because there's this, there's a, he's not like, he never tries to be any kind of a typical hero, which you probably would have gotten if it was Cruz, like, he, he is very much like in every man throughout the whole movie, even when he's like fighting David Morrison in an elevator, like he looks like a dude who has no idea how to fight and it's just like trying to make it work. And I, and I like totally buy it, you know? Yeah. I
0: love that. Um, I love that. He's just like flopping around. you know what I mean? Yeah. He's, yeah.
1: he's just, he's just like a, a guy, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's, that's why he's sort of key in the movie, um, I, uh, there's also a thing in this movie that I really really appreciate. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's present in the book because I would imagine the book is a, is just a general you know generally kind of a pulpy page turner, right. Um, but I think this is something that kind of comes with Gilroy as a screenwriter is this movie knows how silly it gets, which is kind of nice. Um, it it very like it enjoys how silly it gets, but it also like there are moments, you know, in the high drama of it all, when, you know, there's a moment where Hugh Grant gets framed, um, and essentially his life falls apart, and it's all part of the company that Gene Hackman is working for that's, you know, ultimately doing this. Tri-phase, but,
0: baby. Triphase. Yeah,
1: triphase is the which is not such treadstone. A, right, exactly. Don't think it's treadstone. It's triphase. <laughs> right. Tri phase, um, baby. <laughs> but the um, I don't know, it's it it's really cool because there's this one scene in particular where they you know, they have a hearing and he gets fired. And his mentor essentially says to him, like, hey, like, you know, this is everything that's happening and you know, we have to let you go and whatever. And Hugh Grant, like, lays it out. He's like, doesn't this actually feel insane? Like, and he but he doesn't lay it out in some kind of like over dramatic, like, this is my conspiracy theory type thing. Like, he doesn't seem like a crazed person. Like he lays it out being like, This is this thing that's happening. And None of it seems weird to you guys, but it seems weird to me, and I guess I'm getting fired, but it does, like, it is nice, because this is the movie calling out all of the other characters for being, like, you're not even going to ask, like, you're not even going to, like, double check, because this all feels like stuff that you could just, you know, and there are reasons, like, as it, you know, you start to see that certain people are involved, right, in terms of help in, in right, his hospital, right, right. in terms of covering can it up.
2: But can we, even, Connor, kind of, yeah, well, can, in, go, ahead. Sure, go ahead, sorry, Joe. go ahead, good No, sure. I I do want to go back. So I think the movie does get progressively crazier as it goes on. Um, And I do want to defend the Danny Elfman score for one minute because right from the get go, right from that title sequence, you know, you're in for something weird. All right. Because that music is so... It, you almost feel like you're about to watch a superhero film, which makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know it was Danny Elfman who did the score, but when you when you said that, Dan, I was like, oh no, that's perfect. That makes yeah, perfect it's, it's sense. It's like it's like um, his yeah.
0: it's like the B side of his Darkman score. You know, it's very funny. Yes, yes. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, or any any of yeah. those, or Men in Black, or like it's got. I mean, it's just very much. It is very much Elfman. I just felt like it should have been like a like I think it was. Was it um, like James Newton Howard did like the Fugitive score, right? Or something. I might be getting that wrong, but like somebody like that I thought might have been better suited. Like I, th- this movie also, and maybe it's because of the time, and I don't, so I don't know if they directly affected one another, but this movie has some serious like seven energy to it um, in terms of, I think, a vibe that it's going for, at least in its like presentation. Um, even if like, if you look at the poster, for instance, like everything's written in sort of like scratchy writing and like, oh, yeah. you know, like it's, there's, there's some weird sinister energy to this movie that well, Gene, I, to me kind of reeks of seven a little bit. Yeah. This is but,
0: a, I mean, this is Gene Hackman is, is also kind of in a lot of these studio movies this same year. He's in that movie, the chamber with uh yep. with yeah. uh your brother chris o'donnell connor and yes yeah my and um chris O'Donnell. <laughs> and it's an also it's also a parking lot movie right it's about the death penalty the chamber if you've seen that yeah. like not quite as good but it's based on a john grisham book right james foley directed it you know it's like another one of these kind of you know movies that would then now be on hbo a six episode you know you know miniseries thing but
2: or straight to netflix
0: right right like right that. yeah but
2: mm-hmm. um yeah yeah you know, it's interesting because I, I imagine at the time people probably felt like these were the, you know, what what was a thriller in the mid 90s, you know, and, and thinking of what the thrillers were back when Hitchcock was making them, you know, like where did these movies fall into play. and It's interesting to me to think like, you know, this was the 90s version of a thriller and, you know, here's how weird it got and here's how quirky it got. I mean, you know, and. I know you guys really enjoy uh twin peaks but you know that I felt some of that energy in this movie you know especially as they were descending in, under grand central like there there was a point I mean when the dude lit the torch like literally lit a torch yeah. on fire I was like I was like oh wow we're like we're going really really weird here yeah and we're then going the descent like... itself it's like five or six staircases like five or six layers into the basement and I was like this is just it's going for it you know which was really really cool well and um, yeah it's crazy it, because
0: yeah. the 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 great documentary dark days which is about the you yes. know, quote unquote mole yeah, that- people under Penn Station didn't come out until 2000, and so I was watching this movie like, this is real people really this is a real <laughs> community we're we're gonna learn about this in four years Dark Days like the guy's filming uh, the right cure now. For, the cure for cancer is down there man oh, they're just not letting God. it out Dark it Days Dark Days is the better
1: is obviously the better comparison I was thinking of Demolition Man
0: oh my god um,
1: that's like what was popping in my head <laughs> i was like oh yeah it's like the underground homeless people well i think we can
0: all agree that shane black must have seen extreme measures because it's part of the plot of iron man 3 with like the cure oh the, yeah yeah you know the yeah. cure well, right? with the you know the vice president has a daughter who doesn't is like missing a limb yeah. or something right i guess it's limbs. Yes. it's not
2: yeah. paralysis but yeah it's a similar type of like, yeah it's like I, I was. Go ahead. I was saying to Connor, you know, you can see shades of other of later Tony Gilroy projects right. in this movie. So yeah, like, Michael Clayton. Tony Gilroy. Yeah, Tony Gilroy loves himself a secret hideout in the middle of a city. You know, you know like you a, know, a, a clandestine you're facility so in the right. middle of New York. You're so right.
0: Born Legacy is like this, right? It's like, yeah, it's yeah. like pharmaceutical.
2: Yeah. You know, the what do they yeah. call the pills Ta- they
0: take or whatever? Yeah, like
2: yeah, yeah talking about talking about uh, Michael Clayton. You yeah, know, Tony yeah, yeah. Gilroy loves himself some government agents doing shady stuff for private yep. companies. You know, when I saw those two FBI characters, I was like, oh my god, this is this is just like those two guys in Michael Clayton, who I guess are actually a private security firm but close enough yeah no totally um yeah so it, it again it was funny to watch this movie you know made way before those other movies which are way more mature And, you know, again, just more refined versions of like these ideas, you know, and this isn't a Tony Gilroy uh, episode, but if you guys do one, this would be a really interesting B-side for Tony Gilroy. No, yeah.
0: And we got it. One day we're going to do, I think we should do a screenwriter and Gilroy would be kind of one of, because even him, you know, he's directed Duplicity, which I love and uh, Born Legacy and Michael Clayton. So he's directed kind of three. I think they're actually all three good movies. I think the Born Legacy movie uh, with Renner is actually uh, uh, quite underrated. Um, But What I was going to say was that um, it's interesting because um, in 96, me and Connor were texting and Connor was like, has David Morse ever not been a a David Morse character, which is like just, you know, a hunkering bad guy, like 16 blocks, whatever it is. And um, this same year we were sexting The Rock because in The Rock it seems like that, but he turns out kind of to be Ed Harris's true right-hand man friend at, at the end of the movie.
1: It does, it did make me realize, like, it made me, I, like, I do appreciate The Rock in general as, like, its contribution to action movies, but th- that did make me realize one of, like, the nice little feathers in that movie's cap is that it puts David Morse in the David Morse role and then subverts it, and, I mean, I know David Morse has played other roles that aren't this character, but it is very much, I think, just his general bag, you know? Totally. Um, and so, I it, I think, you know, he's good at it, there's, you know, there's a, there's a creepy, ominous, energy to him and and I I kind of I said that to you Dan because I wanted as I was watching this movie I wanted David Morse to a, appear to be you know uh, yeah. a bad FBI agent and then secretly was just doing this as an FBI operation like I would have loved that
0: like if it was like right, he used like to be the, they had been after Gene Ackman's character the it, whole time exactly yeah. exactly
1: and so like that I kind of would have maybe would have made this movie Excel a little bit more for me just because I, I think that would have been a fun little subversion. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's got all the things you think are there in terms of like, like, yeah, there are mole people and that's surprising. But it's, you know, I mean, I think the beats that it hits, there are no real surprises in this movie, which to its credit, I don't think it's trying to surprise you. Like you right. learn, you learn well, very early on kind of what Gene Hackman is doing, right? Like, I, and so all you, it really you is do. at that point... I, is you. Go ahead, sorry, Connor. No, 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 it's fine. So, all it really is at that point is you kind of waiting to see. Well,
2: like, the, the syringe is going to
1: expose that's that's the big twist right is that she's, well, that, she's part sarah of sarah
2: jessica parker twist but also i mean i didn't see the fake paralysis coming at all and that was actually the point in the movie where oh, i was yeah, like i was Paralyzed. like
0: i love that yeah scene. i
2: was like what are they about to do to us here like where is this going yeah. now you know by that point you're like t- almost two-thirds of the way through the movie and it's like wait you're paralyzing the main character is this real what's happening so i thought that was a cool twist and then you know, I guess Sarah Jessica Parker happens what right before that. She well, and, she's and, like and yeah. I, I yeah. thought
0: yeah. of I thought of Iron Man three with Sarah Jessica Parker because it becomes the thing of he's at her apartment right before that, and the brother comes out in the wheelchair, and you're like, oh shit, like yeah, you just go yeah, like- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, no, I mean, and that's it, such it, a great he finds
1: 90s out, thing. He finds out it. because she has a garbage bag in her
0: bathroom That's his that says yeah.
1: tri-phase on it and i just like look if you're her and you know you're a doctor doing like she's a fellow doctor of you know a colleague of, of hugh grants and if you're her and you're doing shady shit like maybe you don't have the garbage bags of the shitty organization that you're working for like I, well
2: you know i think you're revealing one of the one of the bigger like plot holes which is what like how many people knew about this and oh that's you know, a huge part how right. is it okay you know like i because think... so triphase is a major company and yeah. you know uh what's what well, happens like, a famous doctor and it's like yeah uh, you know they have a staff working there you know and it's like okay well how many people really knew that they were testing on live subjects like that would have been a big thing i you will. know
0: i right. uh, yeah i mean i did like so it's a, it's a pretty big hole where like they're a subsidiary of another com- company. So you get the sense of like, they're kind of like hidden to the naked eye, you know, where like the cop comes in at the end and he's like, it was really hard to find you guys. Like, what do you do here? You do, you know, Where it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> but, and he says it was really
1: hard, but it's like, he just walks in to the lobby. And it's like,
2: right. <laughs> yeah. I, hey. I did find it. Well, you know, this was the, the internet in the nineties was not as good as it is today. Guys. I mean, we got yeah, everybody you know, was, was on AOL. AOL. Now, there, yeah. there was no Google maps, you know, so yeah, there, there is, we'll there is some in good
1: old computer searching though in this movie. I yeah. Think, you were just here, waiting for
0: AOL to connect, you know, the, the yeah. phone line sound, <laughs> the whole thing. But, but, um, I do, I like, I guess, and this is, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I feel like ad nauseum on this podcast, but it's like, I love how now in 2020, in 96 a movie like extreme measures felt i feel like the way a-, a movie like captain marvel feels now where it's just like oh yeah Hugh Grant the new star you know he's in the new thriller that's like you know kind of like a John Grisham movie boring and now i'm like god if i could have five extreme measures this year i would love it you know what i mean like all i want <laughs> yeah. all i want I, in the dan, world so-
2: is extreme measures like <laughs> i'm so glad i'm so glad you said that dan
1: because one of the things i wrote down while i was watching this was like Oh, I guess these were the Marvel movies, right? Well, like, yeah, of their time, it was a right? different like these...
0: thing. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. Gene Hackman's in so many of them too. When you look at his yeah. filmography, like he's in a movie called Twilight from 98, which is this like soft baked, like old, old man murder mystery movie with like Paul Newman, James Garner, Gene Hackman, young Reese Witherspoon. Right. And it's like robert benton directed it and it's great you know like you watch it now and you're like yeah. oh my god i would kill for like yeah you know the old you know harrison ford to be in a movie with mark hamill and it's like oh yeah we're old this guy got killed like one of us is corrupt my god like give it to me on a platter yeah you know, yeah like- <laughs> i
1: i will say um i don't know if we've talked about it on the pod yet but we and i mentioned this to you joe uh off mic one like the most recent version of that that I I've at least seen in theaters is um, if you haven't seen Twenty One Bridges, listeners, uh, it's it's like a fun programmer exactly like one of the right movies. right yeah um, exactly
0: a Miller but, Chad, Chad Bozeman yeah it's very good yeah yeah
1: it's it's like a good, just a good fun little kind of you know low stakes uh, thriller it was um, was was
0: the script was called Seventeen Bridges and then they learned that there's actually twenty one bridges out of Manhattan so they had to rename it. <laughs> Is that actually true? That is true. Yes.
1: Holy, I thought I thought you were joking. Um,
0: but yeah, and, I, I, you know, and I believe, I, I, think I just what, want to say, I think Griffin Newman said that on a blank check episode. I, I think I knew that independently, but just, just in case anybody gets, you know, hey, what's going but that. But yeah, I believe it was 17 Bridges and then they renamed it while they're filming it. Yeah.
2: So. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I think one of the things that Tony Gilroy gets um, about power and about powerful people doing bad things is he, he always picks the right bad guys, you know, like, like yeah, the pharmaceutical company is up to something, you know, and especially thinking in the context of today, what that means with like the opioid epidemic and looking at everything that pharmaceutical totally. companies were doing just, just a few years ago, right? It's like, oh, wow, Gilroy, he, he got it, you know, or, he, or yeah. his thesis is, okay, the government's up to no good, or, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, shady, shady parts of the government are up to no good, like, you know, and that always proves itself to be true too, right? And so, you know, it's, it's definitely fun to watch this movie and i i think gilroy was a good choice to adapt to the work because this is like what his career has been about you know totally um, and i and i and i think you know it's interesting to see someone take a tony gilroy like story there and do this adventure thing to it um because i i think michael clayton and and like all the movies that came after that weren't spy movies right like the Bourne movies are are spy movies like you know To Dan's point about would you ever see this movie again, you know, who's ever going to think, oh, yeah, let's take a doctor and a doctor is going to basically play like a spy slash cop doing an investigation, you know, when he's not supposed to be doing surgery on other patients and like, again, go off on this crazy, crazy adventure. Um, Yeah, I do think it's super unique. I don't think it would get greenlit again just because. I think audiences wouldn't buy it these days, you know. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't totally. get made. It's just I I don't know who <laughs> I don't know who would sit down and say, oh yeah, I'm going to give you you know thirty million dollars to to go out and make this.
0: And and yeah. let me say, I I was so sure when we were making the list for the Hugh this Hugh Grant episode, I was so sure I'd seen Extreme Measures. And then whilst watching Extreme Measures, I learned that what I had seen was desperate measures which would come out <laughs> 2 years later uh starring Michael Keaton and Annie Garcia which is equally crazy not i extreme measures is better than desperate measures but just so you know desperate measures is Annie Garcia and Michael Keaton and it's basically a San Francisco cop Annie Garcia needs a compatible bone marrow donor for his son and the only one who can give him the bone marrow is a Sociopath played by Michael Keaton, who's currently in prison. So the cop has to essentially break out the sociopath to get his son the bone marrow. It is crazy. So it's a
1: little, it's a little extreme because it's like a medical. Oh yeah, on yeah. a you know,
0: it gets crazy uh, at that. I mean, I guess I would recommend it in the sense of like they don't make them like that anymore, but it is wild. I mean, yeah. I would certainly recommend Extreme Measures first. And then I guess we also have to mention Extraordinary Measures, starring Harrison Ford and Brendan Fraser. Also medical, also medical (laughs)
3: drama.
0: (laughs) That's probably the worst of the measures, I think. Extraordinary Measures is probably the the worst of the measures. definitely
1: the worst of the measures. Um, There is a really great, I'll just say before we move on, another good kind of Gilroy moment that I think uh, Hugh Grant really, really nails in this movie, uh, just to bring it back to Hugh, Where when he realizes that the body of the first homeless man that he, you know, that he, that dies on his watch, uh, is no longer with the medical examiner. He has a really sort of ominous interaction with that medical examiner. And in any, I think in a, in a broader, I mean, this movie is pretty broad, but if it was directed or written by anybody else, I feel like the movie would have been very much like, you know, it would have just let this dude be creepy, but Hugh Grant straight up is like,
2: what did you say? What did you say? You're
0: quite a creepy person, aren't you? You see, before I was thinking you were just obstructive or inept, but now I'm beginning to think maybe you're much more sinister than that. I think you better leave. You're lying about this for some reason.
3: Everything okay?
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Here, I'm just off, you can... Uh... Pop the boss
1: back in his drawer now. And I, I just, I really, really appreciate it. Um And it's, uh yeah, I don't know. It's, it was one of my favorite moments of the movie, kind of for that reason. I was like, oh, I'm so glad, like, that he just took a minute to like acknowledge that. You know, I will say, I think Michael Apted is kind of the wrong director for this. Um I, I think the movie's a little bit more fun than his sensibilities would allow, and I kind of maybe wish. And and who knows? I'm sure maybe you know they asked some some other auteurs or directors or whatnot, but like, I, you know, dream version of this movie, if it was directed by like Brian De Palma, I think this movie would have just soared. Cause it does. There's such a level of like fun insanity to it that I think he would have done. Yeah, And I, yeah, a director like him would have done a, a wonderful job with, but I guess at the time he was probably busy doing mission impossible. So there you go.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause the, the back half of this movie is basically like a, a morality play, you know, um, with long stretches of dialogue, you know, I mean, it, it comes down to him and Gene Hackman basically having a debate and like one of them's holding a gun, you know, right. but it, it's almost as if the gun isn't even there because really what you're watching, you know, the climax of the film is a discussion, you know, and it's like, how often do you even see that happen? Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just
0: so yeah it's yeah it's a good point it's interesting too with because apted had directed uh, Gene Hackman in a movie called class action earlier in the decade so there's that connection and then it's also interesting to Connor's point though the next movie Apted directs is the world is not enough the James Bond movie. so he kind of he leans
1: like more forward which is into
0: only
2: the, one movie yeah. before Joe's favorite Bond movie right die another day I I mean we this is not a die another day podcast but i am prepared for that podcast if you guys ever no i mean i i'm I'm here i'm here to discuss it no and i
0: love (laughs) and i love that opinion because i find myself uh as a kind of a softer defender of die another day as well like it's not my you know favorite bond movie or whatever but i have a fondness for it kind of in the sense of like yeah make the card visible it's james bond whatever who fucking cares (laughs) Who gives a shit?
1: Yeah, um, like do
2: a sword fight with Madonna. It seems <laughs> fine. Yeah, come we- on. Well, I gotta tell you, you know, in the in the world we live in, where like the superhero movie franchise is the golden goose, right? In in today's Hollywood, um, or the the franchise set of movies is the golden goose in today's Hollywood. Like we're gonna miss this old weird stuff. You know, I, like you're, you're gonna, gonna miss the miss. James Bond. You're, you're gonna, gonna miss. miss the Bond movie where the car turns invisible. You're gonna miss the sure. movie where Hugh Grant plays a doctor descending into the bowels of you know uh, Grant Central, Joe. Like, Joe these why, things are just you're why, not gonna see them anymore. Why you do know? you think we
0: started this podcast, dude?
2: Currently yes, miss, I know. Cur- I know. Currently Listen, miss, yeah. I, I gotta tell you, you guys are doing a good thing here because like <laughs> I would not have watched these Hugh Grant movies unless I was assigned this homework by Connor T O'Donnell. You, um, you know, and that's like. People should know. People should know about this stuff. So, you know, not to not to be a promo for the podcast. No, I love it here, but that is no,
0: plug, no. That, plug, I
2: mean, it it is, this is a service. It is absolutely a service. Extreme measures, I think, is a great. It, it,
0: this is like the like B side example. Yes, you know what I mean. Like yeah. a, a a movie star who maybe is not quite a movie star anymore, but you still know who he is, right, in some capacity. And then you go like, what are someone's, you know, that he's made that maybe I don't know about, and it's like, oh yeah, that one where he's the doctor, you know what I mean, and you know Hackman kind of phones it in, but it's really fun type movie, right? Yeah. Um, and then the last one, right? We can transition, right? Is similar. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's let's go. You know, yeah. it's
0: it's weird. It's similar. Mickey Blue Eyes comes out the same year, uh, mere months after uh, Notting Hill, which I think is part of the reason. It probably fails. And it also it's the same year Analyze This comes out, which is probably you know, a bigger reason why it fails. Mickey Blue Eyes, because yeah, that that feels more correct. It's I like think. you know Hugh Grant's big comeback movie and Julia Roberts' kind of not comeback movie, but like follow up to her comeback, Best Friends Wedding, right? Is is Notting Hill huge hit and also yep. a mob comedy analyze this earlier in the same year. So by the time August comes around, I think people are probably like, yeah, I got my mob comedy. I don't know that I need, you know, Mickey blue eyes. Um, Movie cost $75 million, mother of God, that's a lot of money. It's um, it's Hugh Grant, it's Gene Triplehorn, it's James Caan, it's Burt Young james fox so a big cast a lot of different kind of good uh, people
1: most of them are from the sopranos
0: (laughs) well yeah that was what we were saying it's crazy because sopranos basically premieres less than a year later and like eight mobsters are in the sopranos who are in mickey blue eyes um directed by kelly macon who is mostly a television director um this is the second of the two elizabeth hurley hugh grant Simeon castle rock movies uh makes 55 million 54 55 million cost 75 so it doesn't do that well and it's essentially um hugh grant is an english auctioneer who's in, in new york and he wants to marry uh his girlfriend who's this italian uh woman played by gene Tribblehorn but little does he know when he turns when uh gene triple turns her down little does he know that uh, her family is in the mafia and her dad, who's James Con Frankie uh, Frank Vitale, is like connected with a lot of really shady guys, and the running joke is he runs, <laughs> he owns and runs a restaurant called the La Trattoria, which just means the the trattoria, ha ha ha, and um, and then it becomes this thing where like he convinces her, Hugh Grant convinces Gene Triplehorn, it's all good, he gets into the family, they're gonna get married. And the mob starts using his auction house to uh, launder money through selling like these bad paintings, right, to pay off different people, which is kind of clever. I mean, I don't know. The premise is very like high concept, yeah, fairly clever. I mean, I this, this is the least, I think, of the four, but I still enjoyed it. I mean, this is one of these rare things. I enjoyed all four B-sides. I know you guys yeah. felt a little differently about Awfully Big Adventure to some degree, but – I was surprised how much I enjoyed, you know, as a whole, uh, the slate of movies we talked about, you know, so even if this is the least one, I, I really liked it.
1: No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this is definitely, I think the most I have enjoyed preparing for an episode because like just even watching these four movies, but then sort of re-familiarizing myself with Hugh Grant Uh, in, in his bigger movies and stuff, as I've watched it and kind of reinvigorating a a big appreciation for all like his entire career. Um, and just his existence as a leading man in Hollywood. Um, you know, this has been really great. This movie, I think this one's a little weird because like he, he's, he, it, it feels fine for him. I think he's funny in it. He does all the things sort of right down the middle, like right in the way that he knows how it's a little weird because plot wise to your to your point dan it's very high concept and like it so much so that it the mickey blue eyes portion of it almost feels like the third thing of the movie like the tagline of the movie is they've created a mobster right but like the him pretending to be somebody named mickey blue eyes is only maybe like 20 minutes of the movie really like
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's like right. It it comes. It comes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and so it's like it's like that him having to pretend to be that like, and it's not a long movie. It's like right around ninety minutes. So like him having to be this fake mobster named Mickey Blue Eyes and do all the you know the forget about it and all that, which is funny and totally works. Um, It it really like isn't the actual plot of the movie. Like what you described, Dan, is the plot of the movie. So it's a weird like maybe they, like, didn't know how to sell it or wrap it up or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean, I think generally I liked it. I It did make me wonder, like, what happened to Jane Triplehorn? Like, which is, like, she just kind of, she was in a ton of stuff in the 90s, and then really just kind of, like, wasn't like, she just went away, which is sort well, of she, a bummer. she
0: um, is in Big Love for a long time. Oh, right. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, right, that's, right. that's definitely, you know, into the 2000s, she's doing that. Um, but yeah, I think she kind of, you know, I mean, look, you know, who knows what happened? But I mean, she, yeah, she had a very big 90s basic instinct, the firm, Waterworld, this, right? And then she's in Big Love from 06 to 2011. Um, I'm looking right now. She does a little stint on Criminal Minds on CBS. So she acts, mm-hmm. you know. And then I think, sure. you know, who she's married to uh, for a long time? Leland Orser. Who you oh, know? Really? Yeah, from uh, what is he from? He's from like, um, he, I mean, obviously seven, and then from. Saving Private Ryan. And then, he's in a bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Character actor. Yeah. A good actor. Um, we were just, we were just, we were just, we were just right. That's from uh yeah. from uh freaking Saving Private Ryan, because he's in the helicopter that goes down. Oh, and he's like
1: shell shocked Yeah, he's yeah. shell great, great. That's a
0: great little one scene performance. A lot of that that movie has like a million great one scene performances. Um Oh, and she's in oh wow, I'm looking now. She was also in uh the remake of Swept Away, speaking of Guy Ritchie with Madonna. Right. Oh my god, god. that's wow. right. That was 02. Okay. So she's been in stuff, but um yeah, she's great as Abby McDear. Lover in the firm. And she's wonderful in the firm. Yeah, that's a great yeah. that's a great performance. Um but I think that you know, she's okay in this. Um, you shouldn't have much of a role, you know, she's kind of a put upon, you know, put upon girlfriend, daughter. Um, con is fun. I feel like I've been watching a lot of good con recently. Obviously he's so good in elf. I feel like I watch that every year for, for Christmas. He's, he's always really good in that. Didn't we just talk about James con in it? For we did, another no, B- Cause
1: we, we talked, we talked about him in elf and I talked about how he's like sneakily one of the, one of the, like, right. We talked about Elf for the movie. holiday
0: episode. Of course, of course. Yeah. 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 yeah so, um, Yeah, he's been good. There was another movie we also talked about, I feel like, or I just saw, where I was kind of like, yeah, he really, when he was, even later on, when he's kind of locked in, you know, Khan is as good as anybody. I mean, of course, and that's not surprising, but he's really funny here. I feel like him, like you said, him and Grant have a nice kind of off-kilter chemistry. It's so weird when you think about this movie because it's like, meet the parents is right after this. They analyze this is right before it. So it's almost like in this weird way where you think about Khan in relation to De Niro and these other actors. Once again, he's almost overshadowed in a similar role at the same time, as his com- as his contemporaries right because of course De Niro yeah. goes on to have this pretty you know successful comedy career doing a similar thing you know like playing a tough guy with you know a soft hard heart of gold type thing so i just found that interesting like con would con would be a really interesting b-side guy because he's made some really you know kind of famously missed opportunities with you know turning down roles that would be huge over his career and um giving good performances in movies that didn't really hit including this um And I guess Hugh Grant, this is almost the end of the floppy hair Hugh Grant, right? I mean, he, after this, he does stuff like two weeks notice, but that's more of like him being a cad, like you said, Connor. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a small role in Small Time Crooks, which is the Woody Allen movie, I think the year after this. And he's almost introduced as your traditional Hugh Grant character, but then reveals himself to be a bit more, you know, maniacal, uh, which is interesting. And then you know as as the 2000s go on he's in stuff like American Dreams where he's a cad Simon Cowell type of a guy that movie's insane uh, He does
1: if, the whole he does the 2 Bridget Jones movies very similar like kind right. of a, a piece of shit
0: yeah, he's barely. He's not in as much of. I feel like the edge of reason. He's in it, but that's definitely more of a. No, and he's,
1: and he's dead in the third one. Right, they, like, they kill he's him. just Yeah, because like, he
0: refused. <laughs> he, he said no. I think. Yeah, and they were. And so they just like it's you just liked, like a hard. You cut liked to him, his right? funeral,
1: which I kind of love. Yeah, you <laughs> liked Bridget Jones' Diary, didn't you? The third one, Connor. Baby, I, it's. I mean, it's whatever. I at the time I gave it like a relatively positive review for the film stage. Yeah, uh, because it was just it was nice to see her in like a mainstream release like you know like it was just really nice to see Renée Zellweger we'll do an episode on her one of these days as oh definitely renée for sure um joe what did you do now you mentioned like this was like your potential first exposure uh to Hugh Grant um because like you know your family watched now you could, obviously you come from a big italian family so like how did this movie track they, I feel, yes. like, I feel like they must have loved it. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know though.
2: No, you know, I mean, my, I, I mean, so they're, you know, in my family, uh, I'm from a family of Italian, not just Italian, but Italian police officers. So, um, it's a really tough relationship when it comes to the way Italian Americans have been portrayed in popular media. I mean, you know, uh, Italian Americans are still living in the shadow of the Godfather and Frank Sinatra, which, which is crazy to say in in 2020. But it's true, you know, and like <clears throat> when you look at how successful mob stuff continues to be in popular culture, um, I think what my dad liked about this movie was the way it kind of subverted a lot of those mob cliches, you know, and and again, it was super it's super fun to watch James Caan in this movie because you know, obviously, he was in The Godfather, and and you know he's played mobsters before, but here he is as kind of like a bumbling mobster. You know, um, and all the mobs and all the mobsters are bumbling, right? Like no one's really serious or dangerous or you know. Uh, I mean, he Young any... feels like
1: he feels like the only one who's like kind of it's sinister, right? Like right, yeah. Exa-
2: exactly. But everyone yeah. else is a, is a total caricature. So I, I think that's partially why my you know at least my family they they like this movie. Um, you know, it's interesting to think that uh, Hugh. Grant was so involved with like the, the, you know, the back end stuff on these movies uh, in the, the production side, because I don't think Mickey blue eyes is an easy character. Like I, again, like he's given himself a really tough role to play. Like I, I was thinking like, okay, well, you know, again, like I did for all the movies, like who else would you even have do this? And the only person I could think that could even pull it off today would have been someone like Steve Carell, you know, oh, like, interesting. Who, yeah. And when when you talk about Steve Carell, you're talking about one of the best comedic actors of of all time at this point, you know, and because the the character of Mickey Blue Eyes again, he's he's what he's an art auctioner, like. What is that? You know, you know who even knows what an art, arch, art auctioner is or does, um, you know. And then on top of that, he's dating a girl who's a teacher at like an inner city school. And then you know the way he just kind of gets into things, and then has to play this character of Mickey Blue Eyes, who like Connor said, doesn't even show up until halfway through the movie. You know, the more you watch it, the more you're like, man, Hugh Grant was not making an easy choice here. And I would I would love to hear if he thought it was like an easy role to play, because to me, I, it would be really. I, thinking about it, I would be, have a lot of trouble with it. you know again, because are you are you funny? You're supposed to be funny, but at the same time, like you're burying a body and you know uh, <laughs> you know like the stakes for the Mickey Boy character always see, feel very real. Um, and I, I think that's cool and that's really due to Hugh Grant's performance here. But it is a, a tough movie to, to act in. At least I thought.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's look like we said. I mean, it was produced by by, by Elizabeth Hurley and and Hugh Grant. So it, there was some decision make. You know, it, you would have to, you know, wager to guess there was some sort of decision making. You know, involved. He didn't just take the role. They developed it, right? To right some To right, some degree. So, yeah. so I think that's important to remember. And a couple of things. You know, Burt Young. Uh, weirdly, that performance reminds me of the Joe Pesci performance from The Irishman, right, with the glasses. Yeah, and, you know, I, it's yeah. I was weird. thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's weirdly sinister, but calm. You know, I thought yeah. that was almost... I mean, Burt Young is one of these guys. He's been in a million things. I think he's somehow still alive, which is just a shock. Yeah, he's 79. It just does not seem like Burt Young. I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, he's been around for so long. Yeah, You know, his introduction to the world was as, obviously... Rocky's kind of idiot friend, and the fact that he, you know, he's had a, a more um, developed career than I think you would maybe think he would have had, you know, well, you know, in Rocky, right in '76, right. So that's kind of its own interesting thing, but. The scene where he becomes Mickey Blue Eyes is the best scene in the movie, right? When they're burying the body and they run into the other mobsters, where it's like they all go to the same place to bury the yeah. body. I love
1: that. <laughs> and they, they're like, "Hey, oh!" And yeah. they like start. They like their first instinct is, is to, to just start, shoot start shooting each shooting other. At the, yeah, and, and the then they realize they're yeah, friends. That, that's a great scene.
3: For Christ's sake, just stay down. Hey, I'm done Hey,
0: Frankie. Al, it's Frankie. The tally?
3: Yeah. It's out. <laughs> <Unbelievable>. <laughs> oh!
1: My God, son. Uh, Frank. Did you get hit anywhere? Nah, what are you kidding? Thank God we're chicken
0: shit, say. Real tough guys would have stood there and aimed, no? <laughs> like
1: that's, that's a great scene.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like that has to be a moment of inspiration to write the script, right? I mean, the, the script's by Adam Scheinman and Robert Coin, uh, Cohen, And I feel like it's like, you would have to think that someone has that, you know, hey, wouldn't it be funny if everybody went to the same place? And even, it's funny, The Irishman has a version of that as well, where like Robert De Niro's character mentions everybody dumps the guns in the same part of that part of Brooklyn or whatever, where if you if you drag that part of the river, you know, you could start a war with all the weapons you'd find. So it's, yeah. it, there's some weird parallels there, but yeah, I agree. It's, I agree, Joe. It's was, a cool performance by the, Hugh Grant. I the think other does thing
1: a lot. I was thinking of was that when he, like during the auctioneer scenes was it, it, it you mentioned the Irishman, but I was thinking of uncut gems. Like I, there's an, a scene with an auctioneer, a British auctioneer and uncut gems. And I just thought to myself like, Oh, that's like, that's like, the real version of the Hugh Grant character, right? Like the, like the more like where he's like maybe a little smarmier, less charming, like totally, <laughs> um, totally. And, and which I just thought was an interesting thing. The, I, I, it, this movie feels, um it feels a little chopped up that that. I think that's part of like maybe how short it, it is. You know, uh, it feels like there's some things missing for me. Um, but I do think that like, from a producerial perspective it feels like they have better heads on their shoulders as producers um michael apted had said of working with with hugh grant and elizabeth hurley that he kind of was feeling the strain of working with first-time producers um not really you know not really in a sense that they were combative or anything like that like he had he mentioned that they they were all you know all their heads were aligned and in the right place But they just, you know, working on that movie, the two of them clearly had just never produced a movie before.
0: And and Hurley has a quote as well, probably also in the wiki page where she admits she underestimated how hard it would be to produce. She basically says like, I did not think I was going to be on set that much producing. Right. Which I love. I think that's so honest, you know, like for her to be like, yeah, "Yeah, producing is real hard, which is like as a producer. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it is. And this is just a, (laughs) it's, this is just a a slightly tighter, more refined movie. So that was just sort of watching extreme measures in this back to back was, I, I had that in the back of my mind, like where it just, it felt like maybe they had honed in on it. Um, a little, a little more, but I generally, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I like this movie fine enough. You know, it's, it's not my favorite of the four. There's, there's watched. one,
0: there's one gay joke at the end. That's tough where they're in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. And you know, do yeah. you remember that they're like, he, they're putting the wire on him or trying to get it off or whatever. Or put like the, not the wire, the like bullet, the, the squibs on him. And like, yeah. it, 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 and uh, the, one of the mobsters goes to the bathroom and it's like two men in a stall. And, and the guy's yeah. like, uh, oh, English. I knew it. And you're like, it's,
1: it's, um, I can't think of his Scott Thompson, who was on like kids in the hall.
0: And he's um, in the stall with Q. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: He's one of the FBI agents. They basically wind up doing this to get out of this predicament that they've killed or that that they've put themselves in. Basically, James Conn is helping Hugh Grant and Gene Triplehorn cover up the fact that they've killed Burt Young's son on accident. Um, And that's sort of what spawns the Mickey blue eyes thing because nobody's met Hugh Grant before yet. So when they ask who he is, James Conn just introduces him as like a mobster from out of town, basically. Um, And uh, as things progress, they realize the only way out of it is to work with the FBI. And a few people actually come back from extreme measures Um, there. I found his name the other day.
0: One of the FBI agents,
1: right? Yeah, basically one of the, I, I, his name escapes me now, so I apologize. But one of the FBI agents is the doctor, is the superior that comes to uh, Hugh Grant in extreme measures to complain about like insurance claims that can't get paid by the homeless guy, which Dan, as you mentioned, was kind of a like a fun little Gilroy moment. Um, but uh, but that that's just funny. There are a couple people that that pop in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think basically this movie's just, you know, it's it totally worth it. Like, you know, if, if you catch it while it's on, it's a nice, enjoyable thing. I think Khan plays it really well. Cause I, I love how, um, agreeable he is. You sort of expect a meet the parents kind of thing. Like, I think that would have been maybe the easier thing to do with this movie is make this whole movie about where he also has to constantly impress James Khan. But I do kind of love that James Khan is just like with him. The whole, t- you know, that he's just like, yeah, I know, like I, I love you. You're my, you know, you're my new son-in-law. Like, I, I really kind of uh, appreciated that.
2: Yeah, I thought that was one of my my favorite things. Actually, was James Con's performance as like this this dad who obviously very much loves his daughter, but is also conniving and is also like putting, you know, Hugh Grant it's character on, on the slippery slope into the mob, you know? And I, and I do think, you know, we talked about how Mickey blue eyes doesn't show up till halfway through the film. Um, you know, that first half, I mean, that's basically what they're doing. It's the seduction part, right? It's like, okay, you made a promise to this woman he loves that he won't join her father in being a mobster, but here's how it's, it accidentally happens, you know, um, right. through the, through this, like art auctioning, you know, plot device, which as Dan said is like the, again, just crazy. And, you know, you would never, you know, again, you would never see it in a movie today. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely. I I think he's one of the things that holds the movie together for sure. Um, is James Con and actually again, you know, this is another Hugh Grant movie where the casting was really great. You know, to, to go back to, you know, an awfully big adventure. I mean, I think there's so many things going on in that movie where you know, with a different cast, you wouldn't be able to watch it at all. Um, but you know, again, I don't know who did the casting for for any of these films, but yeah, no, really all across I agree. Board.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think. Um, I think. And the, uh, just to uh, follow up my thought, the uh, other James Con movie I recently uh, rewatched was *Misery*, which he is great, in, of course, uh, which is the also a Castle Rock movie, which is funny. It's uh, Rob. He's
1: also I I realized he is in *Bulletproof*, which we covered on our Adam Sandler. Oh yes,
0: not great yeah. in *Bulletproof*. No, yes. no bad. bad not in Bulletproof. not great in *Bulletproof*. Bad. Yes, yeah. But and you know another funny thing, I, I just have his time to be up. It was just you like totally forget this stuff. He was in like five seasons of that show Las Vegas with Josh Duhamel and Molly Sims. Like that that you, show was on for five. seasons? Do you seasons? remember Las Vegas from?
1: Like I mean, I re- two thousand and three to two thousand
0: and eight. But... I mean, my God, that is just a show that happened a hundred episodes. I mean, good for you, Josh Duhamel. Just really just being. Wasn't Dennis Hopper
1: <laughs> on that show too? No,
0: I think it, I think you're thinking of James Con. James Khan is. It's James Caan, Molly Sims, Nikki Cox, Josh Duhamel, dude. Wow. What a show. Okay. But yeah. um <laughs> I wanted to say a couple quick Hugh Grant things um just in research as we're kind of coming to the end. He has said in interviews that The Remains of the Day is the best film he's ever been associated with, which he has a small part in that's from 93. He said the worst film he's ever been a part of is a little movie called Night Train to Venice, which I think is like a German co-production that barely came out in the early 90s. He basically said after Morris, uh, which is the Merchant Ivory movie, he took a lot of shitty movies. But a couple of highlights are Bitter Moon, which is the Roman Polanski movie and The Remains of the Day. And then he has a great quote that he mentions, I believe, in that SAG interview I referenced earlier. I think in talking with Mike Newell and Richard Curtis, this quote, I think is just interesting. Uh, it's an interesting acting quote. Uh, the one thing the camera loathes is repetition. And he's talking about that in the sense of doing multiple takes and needing to be fresh. And that's something that like, you know, Michael Newell, Mike Newell would say to him, you know, on the set of Awfully big adventure or, uh, or Four weddings. And I just think that's interesting. And I think, you know, he's somebody, as we talk about acting, and I think we've explored in this episode Kind of sneaky, energetic, diverse performing abilities that you might not know. And a good case in point is Cloud Atlas, which we're not going to really dig into. But he's basically the villain character, the heavy in a bunch of different segments of that uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty interesting movie. And um, he's great. I mean, it's small, small roles, but he's like playing a cannibal in one. You know, playing an old, you know, hateful geezer, in another, you know, playing in one kind of interesting. But I suppose the whole movie is like this. He's he plays a you know an Asian um, club owner. You know, everybody's you know in different makeup, so it's not. It's a weird movie in that respect because there's a lot of different... You know, that's one of the that's that's one of the most egregious parts of it, I suppose. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting hardest thing to
1: swallow. I mean, I would generally. Well, well, we'll quickly talk about it. I would generally recommend Cloud Atlas. I think Cloud Atlas is in pure, truly insane that it got made, and like I really do think that, like, it, it just on it, like with a lot of recent Wachowski endeavors or most Wachowski endeavors in general, they always get this weird sort of critical reception. Um, And then these later in life sort of like, oh, wow, we really should have appreciated that more. And I I just generally feel like, you know, we should just really appreciate the existence of Cloud Atlas, I think, just in general. Joe, do you Um, like Cloud Atlas?
2: Yeah, you know, I I like Cloud Atlas a lot. You know, it's a a shame and it's not really fair. But when you look at what has happened to movies and what's happening now with television, when I think of Cloud Atlas, I think they should have developed it as... You know, a prestige television series because I, I think it would have killed as a prestige television Which, series. Well they, they kind of did, right? Uh, sensei. I know that's yeah. cheating, but yeah, sensei right. And they did eventually create Sensei, but I I do think Cloud Atlas is more compelling than than what Sense8 ended up being, um, sure. you know, story-wise. But yeah, I mean that's and it's a shame because I really like Cloud Atlas, but I think it's hard for the average moviegoer to like sit down and strap in for it because of what you said, Connor. It's so off the wall and if you're not up for paying attention to all the cool like through lines you you'll just get bored you know like a quarter of the way in which is a shame yeah, it, it's the tricky production because is incredible and yeah yeah and it, and it's tricky
1: just cuz like it it uh, some of the things like when the, when all the threads do come together they don't come together in a way that really makes you like, oh my God, they they all mattered to each other. The, The weird thing is that what the movie says halfway through is kind of where the movie lands, right? Like where the movie lands, it's just like, yeah, we're all connected and all these little things that you think are insignificant ripple into other things. And that's basically, like it's a very broad thesis for the movie that the movie then very intricately sets up, right? But like that is the movie. Like that's sort of, Like the movie doesn't culminate in any kind of like high stakes thing that that would fall apart if all of these things weren't connected. It kind of just moves along, which I guess is maybe a little hard
0: to swallow. It, but I do think, yeah. Go go, ahead, Connor. Sorry.
1: No, no. I was just gonna say I do think one of the like reasons to watch the movie is to watch all of its principal players just try on all these different hats, and I would say. No one is more thoroughly successful than Hugh Grant, I think. In, yeah, in I would all agree. of the in all of that. yeah, the,
0: I'm I'm on board with that take. That's yeah. a good take. Yeah, yeah. I would I agree like to think you are on board with that. I, but yeah. Joe, it's funny. We're talking about Cloud Atlas just only briefly, it's it's like speak almost- speak the truth, true, Dan. Tell like, us the truth. Like true. what you're saying is uh, about awfully big adventure. It's similar. It's like I don't know, I don't know if either of you guys have read the David Mitchell book, Cloud Atlas, but it's it's I like the movie fine, but it's a similar thing to what you were saying when we talked about Beryl Bainbridge's book, Uh, Awfully Big Adventure, where we haven't read the book, but you would think, given the content, it must be a better read than it is a watch because of some of the unpleasantness and you can kind of live in your own head with the words as opposed to watching, you know, Uh, you know watching these unlikable characters on a screen somebody else's creative vision right you can almost intake more of it as a novel i feel similarly about cloud atlas to a degree the way mitchell frames the book right where it's it's kind of like a russian doll right You, you know the you know the russian eggs where it's like each each um each uh, story kind of unravels and then ravels back right so the way he writes it it's different than the movie it's obviously intercut the whole time right so it's like they're all happening co- simultaneously to some degree and they kind of converge a little bit but it's not really in any huge way like Connor's
2: saying There,
1: there's some really I will say there are some really wonderful edits like there are some really wonderful like just whether it's a visual edit or a narrative edit or whatever, where you'll see a character kind of like talk about, um, you know, like showing someone to death's door. And then, and then it cuts to, you know, Jim Broadbent going into a, you know, a retirement home that he thinks is a motel. So there are like things that linger like in, in kind of like maybe the lower layers of the movie that, that kind of tie it all together really nicely like that. But I I agree, Dan, it's very like,
0: you know it, i mean i would just say much if, intercut if, the whole time if you're yeah. interested in the movie and you like the movie i would read the book i mean you will get a lot out of the book even if you've seen the movie i mean i cannot recommend I that is a good david mitchell you know is is a is a very fascinating writer and that's certainly uh one to one to seek out if you haven't read it but um i mean i guess what else is there to say about hugh i mean gentlemen's coming out it might be out already uh it kind of feels like a pre-made Guy Ritchie B-side, you know, I mean, he sure. he, he, <laughs> yeah. he made Aladdin last year. And even though it was kind of critically middling, it did very well. Um, he's got, he, I, is he doing the third Sherlock Holmes? Is that confirmed? He keeps, say,
1: he keeps saying he is. I mean, I mean there's I a know. script.
0: I mean, one wonders if after Doolittle, you know. That's what I was just going to say. They, like, you know, I, is I, it going to just be an easy, let's do Sherlock three so that, you know, yeah. Robert Downey uh, Jr. can th- that that of a my, third. That would
1: be my bet. If I was a betting
0: man. You know, Doolittle. So, Doolittle, you know, Joe, I don't know how much... You know, Doolittle's coming out. It's been pushed back about a year since it was supposed to originally come out. There's been myriad of reshoots. I think John, Jonathan Liebesman did them. You know, Steve Gagan is the director. So, there's this thought, you know... And like we said, it's coming out, I think... If not, I th- it might already be out, actually, now that I'm thinking about I it. I think
1: by the time you listen to this episode, it
0: will So, be I out. mean, who yeah. knows? Maybe Robert Downey Jr. will be enough to, to push it over the finish line. But it feels like a pre-made flop. You know, the budget went crazy and whatnot. So, we'll see. But I would... I mean, yeah. look, I like the Sherlock Holmes, Guy Ritchie movies. I think a lot of people begrudge them. But um I like both those movies, I think... But, uh, more than enough. I, I, I feel like you've said this before in the podcast. I saw the movie with my family, the first one, like a million Christmases ago. And I remember my dad turned to me and he was like, This is this is exactly what movies should be. There's everything in that movie. There was drama, there was comedy, there was action. Like my dad became a huge Sherlock Holmes fan because he just was like, Isn't this why we go? This is entertainment. And sure. I just was like, yeah. so I do kind of feel that way. Um so I would like a and third that one. I
1: would say to tie them together a little
0: uh I mean that I think
1: and you like this movie a little bit more than I do but I think it's it's grown on me in that regard I think that's why man from Uncle is kind of like a, a sneaky like gem of a movie uh speaking of Hugh Grant right like it's just like it's just a movie that's got a little bit of everything yeah and I think the detractors of that movie would argue that you know it just doesn't do some of those things as well as other movies that do those things do and maybe that's fair but um I, you know i think um i i would love to see hugh continue to do that right like i mean we haven't even mentioned paddington too but like if cloud atlas is the thing that kicked that kicked off this thing of full-on character actor hugh grant like keep it going like and anybody i think who can channel that whether it's a Guy Ritchie and Hugh Grant seem, I mean, from the trailer, right for the gentleman, Hugh Grant seems like he's having a blast in the gentleman, right? right? Which is like, which is nice, you know. So
2: yeah, well,
0: Paddington, I, I go ahead, Joe.
2: Well, and, and guys, no, I, I mean, I don't want to throw a hand grenade into the middle of this or to the end of the episode here, but um. You know, I I do have a theory that I think Hugh Grant, as he gets older, he will be better at playing like more villainous roles, which is what tends to happen, you know, as as male actors get older, like they they can't get those hero parts anymore. So they start to get these like older villainy type characters. I think he's going to age better than someone like Tom Cruise. Who well, I don't think is ever going to get that opportunity. I, know. To I keep, play those. Yeah, I keep I, waiting I think,
0: for Tom Cruise to do that. That's like all I yeah. want in the world is for Tom Cruise to be like a conniving villain. You know what I mean? That would be so well. Great.
2: It was it was such a tease in Collateral, right? Like when you watch Tom Cruise play, know, finally dude. like play, or an even bad I mean, guy. even broader yeah. in in Tropic Thunder, right? Like right, like right, just right. To, but, to, yeah. but
1: just to fully own, like yeah, like being an asshole. Speaking of which one of the things and i feel like i say this for a few actors we do but one of the things i thought of while while watching all of these movies is in terms of like what i would love to see him do next is like put him in a mission impossible movie like i mean i know he was in man from uncle which is essentially a version from that of that but like make him the villain like yeah, make him I mean, the villain in a mission movie i would I love that i think
0: the thing with you grant is he's basically said he's kind of happy not acting anymore right so i don't know how much we're actually going to see from him you know uh, um you know from here on out i think he was in the uh the miniseries a very english scandal um which is a a pretty interesting uh little miniseries with him and ben wishaw directed by Stephen frears he's really good like i said before in florence foster jenkins where he plays you know the husband of uh, florence foster jenkins meryl streep uh movies okay he's really great in it um And then, yeah, I mean, he's been really hitting it out of the park, I think. But I think it's kind of small roles. Should have
1: gotten an Oscar for Paddington 2. Yeah, I mean, Paddington
0: 2 is, is I think, I don't even think this is that controversial. I mean, I think it's got to be his best performance. He's so good in it. He's playing the villain, but there's layers. He's funny. He's doing a million different things. There's like this scene in his lair where he plays like four different characters in the space of three minutes because he's this famous actor. And it's like amazing you know what i mean it's like yeah. it's almost like at the end of awfully big adventure he plays captain hook for a scene and you go like this i yeah. want to see you know it's <laughs> it's it's kind of lovely you know the the diversity of of whatever of just what he's doing on screen in a limited role so i don't know i don't know how much more we'll get i mean i think the gentleman sure i mean you know having fun on a guy richie set and kind of a, a snatch throwback sure you know i feel like that feels up up his alley and um
2: yeah. Well you know, I'll tell you, Dan, if he if he really is reaching a point where he doesn't want to act anymore, I mean there's only one company left that has the money to, you know, entice someone out of retirement and it's Disney. So yeah, let I don't know if Star get Hugh, Wars, maybe we get Hugh yeah, Hugh Grant in a Star Wars project. Yeah. Hugh Grant in a Marvel project. Honestly, um, you, I you could know, totally that's... see him taking like the Herzog level role. In, oh like, in
1: the next A season of The Mandalorian.
0: Like, well, I mean, I think he could, could obviously he could do the Richard E. Grant idea. thing from Rise of Skywalker. You know, I mean, he could play sniveling Brit like for yeah, as long sure, as he sure. wants. But I mean, one thing you know w- we didn't mention this. He made headlines as not an actor but as a citizen when he basically took on Rupert Murdoch and News of the World. Um, a few years ago, uh, regarding their, uh, you know, uh, disregard uh, phone of privacy tapping, right? and phone tapping and yeah. stuff. So he has kind of, you know, he's obviously very against what's happening currently in, in, you know, uh, Britain right now, he's been against Brexit. And so, I mean, he's a political guy. He's very outspoken, um, you know, I think it's that
1: portion of his life was entirely written by Tony Gilroy.
0: Actually, yes, indeed. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, he's one of these guys. He's, well, you know, he's a father. To, he's so, a father at an old age, right? So, I don't know. I, I would be curious to see how much we get him. I, w- I want uh, a lot more, but I would be curious to see how much we get.
2: I, I feel like sometimes what what those guys end up doing is they end up trying to fund projects of for people who are versions of their younger selves. So I guess one question I might have for you guys, because I don't get to the movies as much anymore, is there someone fulfilling that young Hugh Grant role right now? That's a good question. Like, who's our premier British actor? Is it? Is it Chris? Is it one of the Chris's? You know, um, right? Hemsworth. Uh, I mean, Hemsworth, 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 is, Hemsworth is a Hemsworth. Different. Yeah, he's he's very charming. That's probably he.
1: Yeah, he may be the best one. I could. I mean, say, he's too. Could,
0: he, but he's too like muscular, and you know what I mean. It's a yeah, different type. I mean, of, maybe maybe. Uh,
1: Taryn edgerton post post rocket man like i'd i'd like i'd be curious to see what that does to Taryn edgerton's career um
2: i mean we don't get romantic comedies anymore so like yeah, what is that's a, you know that's, and that's that was hugh grant's thing so you know again talking about the b-side i mean this is like an archival project yeah
1: harry golding who's that connor isn't he that am i getting his name wrong oh uh,
2: henry Golding. henry henry
0: Golding. henry Henry Golding. Yeah, Henry Fuck. Golding's actually Sorry. a really good yeah. uh one. Actually, yeah. He he's in Last Christmas, he's in Crazy Rich Asians. He's also in The Gentleman. Um, he's a good one. Yeah, he's he's a good British actor who, you know, yeah, he has that charm. Um yeah, that uh, let's let's settle on him. I like that Henry Golding. Sure. I mean, I was going to say he's Tom Hiddleston. You know, Hiddleston's a little older though. I mean, he's kind of in that in that world. I mean, Hiddleston could crush. You know, he could kill a uh, four weddings. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Uh, shout out to my sister Mal Mallory who listens to the show. She loves the Four Weddings and a Funeral Hulu show, which uh, or Hulu. What did I say Hulu? Who who? Oh my god. Hulu, right? H U L U. Hulu. She loves that the Hulu show, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is um who's in that? It's uh from I
1: thought it was on Amazon. is no, it? No, it's
0: no, it's Hulu, bro. Trust me. Okay. And okay. Um, it's the from Four Weddings from uh what's her name? From uh Game of Thrones. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Her name is Stare Bear With Me. She she's with the eunuch. In the oh, yeah, Nat, Natalie Emmanuel, Yeah, yeah, she's really good in it. I watched the show, my sister recommended the show. I watched it on Hulu. I liked it. Mindy Kaling created it. Um, they basically take the movie and they like extrapolate it and add a bunch of characters. And There's some cool parts of it. It's like, I, my recommendation would be you know, to your point, Joe, they don't make rom coms anymore, really. If you like the rom com formula for weddings and a funeral, the show is literally like, what if we made 10 episodes? and put every element of the rom-coms you've grown up loving into one 10 episode show. So yeah, like so, nice. so some of it's nice, some of it's a little, you know, sweaty and whatever, but I think as a whole it's kind of really nice to watch. You know, bringing it back to the Englishman, you know, uh who came up a hill kind of point, it's just a nice thing to watch, so. Yeah, but you know, I think we've gotten a lot out of Hugh, and you know, I, 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 one thing I'd say, and you'll see a lot of links in the article, um, for this podcast, he's a really honest interview. So you can have a fun day, literally clicking on like his GQ through his career, his sad yeah. interview, his interview with some British press, right? He's very kind of you know, outgoing about, like I said, the worst movies he's made, the best movies he's made, the co-stars that maybe didn't like him on set. You know, someone asked him in one of the interviews, do you throw temper tantrums? And he says, "You, yeah, I throw one on every set I'm on just to keep everybody guessing, you know, like, you know, glib, <laughs> glib, funny commentary but also a ring of truth i believe he also i always credit this to him i'll say it and feel free to tell me i'm wrong he has a a quote i'll try to find a link to it where he basically talks about how he was such a nicer person before he became famous on set because you're surrounded he's like you get surrounded by yes men and all of a sudden you realize you've become this monster because there's not a you know an espresso machine on set and all of a sudden you're mad about that and like people are their whole job is to like find you an espresso machine right so i just think it's like (laughs) It's a good point of like when people malign actors. It's also like the system that they live within is almost designed to make them terrible people because yeah, the whole. I mean, you know, Connor, me, and you are PAs. Like, you know, it, it's true, right? The whole, the whole yeah. mechanism is like. We have to make sure that this guy has what he wants, so that he'll give a good performance. And in the
1: grand scheme, in the grand scheme of it, you're like, Why, why does this matter?" Yeah, you're and making hundred
0: fifty dollars, you know, two hundred twenty five dollars yeah. a day, whatever it is, running around getting, making sure there's you know skittles, right, or whatever. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. It just it, it it seems crazy when you take it outside of, you know, the the business and the set and whatnot. And,
1: And this, this, I will say quick shout out, if you're listening and you have PA'd or you are paying just quick shout out to you, you're doing great work and it's, it's such a shitty thankless job. (laughs) And, uh, I know that's what the money's for, but, uh, but you're, you're doing great work. So just, you know, keep on trucking.
2: Yeah. Keep on, exactly. Keep on trucking indeed. Um, and, and, yeah, and I'll I'll will say what these guys can't say, uh, unionize all of you. Oh, <laughs> oh
0: God! Once again, he is not an official government. <laughs> I will. Right he, now. Is, he is just uh, yeah, that. I, will, um. <laughs> I will. say. Connor, me and Connor always joke about. You know, we've been on sets for you know over a decade now. How many PA's Connor in 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 the course of whether when we were PA or and and now we're in production production at another level, but. So many PAs would come up to me. We'd talk and they'd be like, you know what, man? You know what someone needs to do? They need to write a movie about what it's like being a PA. Like, I have a great idea for a PA script. <laughs> yeah. And I it was so funny because it's like- It's like you and every it's PA. so true. Ever. It's like, <laughs> And the only one, there's a movie called My Favorite Year, which is a Peter O'Toole movie. He got nominated for it from, I think the early 90s or maybe the early 80s, actually. And he's this movie star. And essentially the co-star of that movie He's not a PA but he's basically doing he's almost first team PAing. He's like monitoring Peter O'Toole's character cuz he's a drunk and it's yeah. it is one of those movies that captures that really well. Um so I'd recommend that, you know, if you have any interest. My favorite year uh Peter O'Toole. It's a really kind of fun uh movie and kind of in line with some of these British movies we're talking about. It's kind of, you know, a nice movie with an edge to it. So, uh, as a final recommendation, Joe, do you, I, I guess you can't say where people can find you You're trying to keep it a little clandestine. Can I, Joe,
1: can, is the, it, can I say where people can find you? Yeah, you
0: can say whatever yeah. you want. About yeah. Me,
1: Connor, you yeah, say for it. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you can find Joe, uh, well, Joe, why don't you first just give us your personal Twitter?
2: Oh, sure. Well, my, my personal Twitter is at Joseph Galbo. Uh, and if you Google that, it should come right up. And, uh, and you can, you can
1: also find his work, which he's doing really, really great, really, really great work, uh, at USCPSC on Twitter. Um, which is basically sort of general, you know, uh, products that are getting recalled safety tips, that kind of thing, uh, for your home and whatnot. It's
2: truly actually, it's like product safety, right, Joe? yeah it's proc safety we also we also make a lot of safety memes uh and occasionally i'll throw in movie references so if, oh, if dude, it's a, it's if a good you follow, follow closely it's enough. a good follow yeah, yeah if you follow it's, closely enough you'll you'll definitely catch some movie references a lot of Spielberg you can, um, influence.
1: you can you can i mean the work is funny and it's super interesting and joe you've rightly got a lot of sort of recognition uh through various outlets uh rolling stone the times all that kind of stuff um just for uh, what a truly wonderful uh, account you're running there um, for 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 a government agency.
0: Um, hey Joe, but oh sorry, go ahead, Connor. Finish your thought. I want to ask you a question. I'll uh, bet a movie after you're done.
1: Oh, okay, sure. Uh, no, no, no. I was just gonna say, you know, uh, if you're uh, if you're listening now, you can follow me um, on uh, on Twitter at Scruffy You can follow this podcast at TFS Side. Um, you can catch my byline occasionally on the film stage. Um, I don't know if it'll be out by the time you listen to this. It probably will. I will have written, uh, and reviewed, uh, bad boys for life. Hell so yeah. That's ha- bad boys yeah. for yeah. So life, that's, baby. That's happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, we are now, uh, live on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, give SoundCloud. us
0: some, give us some reviews on Apple, on yeah, iTunes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Please rate, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, let us know what you think. And, uh, our whole backlog from when we were on the film stage show feed is on there as well. So if there are episodes you like and want to listen to again, go for it. Uh, or something you maybe haven't listened to, uh, go for it. We got a lot of really fun ones, uh, that we, some of which we've mentioned here but uh dan where can we find you
0: yeah at dj mecca that's where i'm at um i'll be at sundance if you're listening uh as this drops i'm at sundance and i'm watching movies and reviewing them at lightning speed uh with jordan raup who uh uh, you know is the co-founder and master of the film stage and hopefully you'll like our new look we recently revamped our our website uh, at the end of 2019. So, we're really liking the new look of things over at the film stage. Long time coming. Very excited about that. I'm happy that's finally happened. So, yeah, look for the Sundance reviews. Look for upcoming other stuff, um, you know, pot- potential interviews and stuff like that. Um, I'm also surprised do little such a big hit. Um, you and me both. Joe, question <laughs> for you Have you seen the movie Dark Waters? No,
2: not yet. Really, really want to. Yeah, know. so from a- looks, just, looks awesome.
0: Yeah, so from a product, see, I just was thinking about you earlier. Me and uh, Kelly saw it, uh, and Jordan's wife, Jenna, who's a chemist in New York, has this great interview with the real-life uh, you know, a lawyer who the movie is based on, Rob Billett. Um It's like our best- got to be the best interview we've ever had on the film stage. And I think it's the most read interview we've ever had on the film stage. Um, yes. She, yeah. It, it, she it is credit. She,
1: credit to General
0: Oh my God. And it's like one of those things. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like you, you would appreciate this. I mean, you know, she's an expert in her industry talking to a fellow expert, right. And the movie, the movie is about, you know, DuPont and it's about Teflon, right. It's about the discovery of the chemical, you know, developed in the Manhattan project used for nuclear testing that was revealed to be, you know, part of the reason Teflon, like, would never, you know, be destroyed and stuff, and it wasn't good for humans, right? Like, this whole crazy, terrible, scary story, but from a product safety standpoint, it just, definitely check it out, because it's one of those things that's just, like, it was eye-opening for me. You know, I consider myself relatively well-versed in some, you know, you know, in news things, and I, I can tell you, I, I was blown away by what that movie kind of highlights,
2: so... Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to scare people, uh, you know, who are listening to the pod, to the podcast here. Um, you know, but I, I think one thing I've learned since I I've started working in government and especially working where I work, uh, you know, is, is how important and how critical a lot of government work is and how, uh, engaged, you know, average people really need to be in what's going on. Um, because bad stuff, yeah, bad stuff is happening out there, uh, and the, and there's very few people operating with very few resources trying to stop it from happening or or trying to stay on top of it, and you know without the public support, um, without a citizenry that's like engaged and knows what's going on, uh, this this all falls apart pretty quickly, um, and again I, I know we're not here to talk. You know, no, oh, uh, yeah, the 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 inner workings of the government, but you know, again, as you watch those Tony Gilroy movies, as you watch Hugh Grant, uh, you know, face <laughs> off against a powerful pharmaceutical corporation, you know, um, obviously it's all you know really played up, you know, to be entertaining, but the real life stuff is is often just as entertaining and usually twice as heartbreaking, um, because there is a lot of real lives behind all of this. So, uh yeah, no, thanks for thanks for the question. Well, yeah, yeah. thank you, I, I thank you for definitely me. look forward to seeing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and thank you for being one of the people who's doing that, man.
2: And, uh, Oh man, no, I, let's say, I, hey, you know, hey. just doing my job, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, just doing my job. Um, con... no, but I, I do just one final thought on, on the B side here and what you guys do again, this is, a, this is a true service. And I, I know, um, you know, it it seems like just a bunch of dudes watching movies or a bunch of people watching movies that, you know, uh, are from back in the day or whatever, but you know, there, again, this, this is not the way movies get made anymore. Um, you know, you see it as a casual movie fan or as, as like an above average, you know, above engaged movie fan. I see it happening, you know, and so to have a show like this where you're talking about these movies, where you're bringing them to light, where you're, you know, putting them in front of people's faces is a, a real service to the the film world. So keep it up. You guys are doing a great thank job. Thank you, sir. Well, oh, look, thank you.
0: if we can just get a few more people to watch Die Another Day, I mean, that's why we wake up in the <laughs> morning. <movie, Obviously. whatever. laughs> Man, <I'm trying.
2: laughs> I am trying. I preach it. I preach it everywhere I go, everywhere I can. You know, Pierce Brosnan is so good. He's so relaxed in the role. Yeah. I mean, he's my favorite. I mean, he's Al- my favorite. Halle Berry. Bond. Yeah. Yeah. They kill a guy with a laser in a in a way, you know, it happens. <laughs> There's a sword fight, you know. Yeah. Also, I don't know who the British talking about British actors. I forget who plays um, the bad guy. Graves.
0: yeah, the bad guy. Oh in my the beginning God, what before is his he's, name? I know. Then he becomes. Yeah. He he reveals himself to be South Korean, right? Isn't that yeah. the whole or North Korean? Yeah, a,
1: a British man who's Korean. It's like Cloud Atlas. It's all coming back. It's all yeah. together. Yeah. Oh, what a movie. <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, okay, I'll kids, just have me. When you do the Pierce Brosnan and B side, if you do, oh, the we, done oh we done identity. it, baby! Oh, oh, you, did it. oh yeah. you did it! Oh, you did it!
1: Yeah, listen to it! Dude. Oh man, listen to I'll it. have to listen to it! Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I'll, uh, I'll. If there are no final thoughts,
0: <laughs> his, name just... his name is Toby Stevens. Just I'll say that and go. Oh, go great. ahead. Thank go you, ahead. Ahead.
1: thank you, Toby. You're doing the <laughs> Lord's work. Uh, Joe, thank you for 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 being here and thank you for for everything that you're doing with the work that you're doing. And uh, you, dear listener, thank you for granting us your ears.
2: Nice.